You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to this episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 9, episode 58. Uh, I'm F-Bomb John, as good John likes to keep on calling me. How you doing, John? Yeah, I'm good, John. Um, it's not that we want to call you. You've just sort of resolved that for yourself. Yeah, to be honest, well, I think I'm a, I think I'm a saint now. I don't. I've not sworn in a podcast. I don't think for a few weeks. Maybe if no, I was we're not having we're not having you going saint me going Greavesy or the other way about. No, I will. I will see. I'll probably now that I've said that I'll probably end up. I'll drop a few f bombs, but I uh, will see what happens. <laughs> um, so I, uh, how are you getting on alright anyway? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna doing good, yeah. Um, just counting down to life changes, so yeah, all good. Aye. Um, well, please have another guest on. So we have current co-manager of Falkirk, not co-op manager, uh, co-manager of Falkirk, and it's Dundee United, Wickham, St. Johnson, Falkirk player, David McCracken. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I was wondering how long you were going to take there with the amount of clubs you were going through. <laughs> We had Ali Graham on the other week and introduced him as man of many, more clubs than a deck of cards. Um, <laughs> no, quite, no quite as many as him. He, he had a fair few. Oh, um, yeah. Bye, how are you getting on? Not too bad. Aye, same as everybody. I think uh, I think the novelty's kind of wore off for the whole uh, lockdown thing. Isn't it? You know what I mean? I think everybody's just really up to get back to some sort of normality. So... Um, things seem to be easing a wee bit, so you know, hopefully we'll be there kind of in the next kind of coming weeks or, or month or so. Anyway, yeah. What what's lockdown looked like for you? Then what you've been doing to kind of try and keep busy? Uh, to be fair, it's you know early on it was pretty much about you know still trying to make sure um, the players were okay, you know, and, and there was stuff arranged for them because at that point we never knew it was going to be this long. Um, you know, making sure they still with their, their some sort of programs, uh, some sort of kind of structure to follow in terms of their, their kind of fitness work, and make sure they were ready to come back when the you know the offset are finishing the season. At that point, you know, now when you think back, you're thinking, you know, there was absolutely no chance that was going to happen. But you know, as times progressed, um, obviously we've been put on furlough and stuff like that. So there's not really much in terms of that we've been allowed to do. Um, just with the restrictions due to follow. So, you know, you, you end up, you spend, it's been good in the sense, you know, spend a bit more time with, uh, I've got two girls, so spend a bit of time with them. Um, you know, and, and I think same as everybody else, working on your own kind of fitness goals. People seem to be going crazy with the fitness equipment and you know, people have been out running, jogging, walking, uh, anything at all, just to kind of, you know, get out of the house when they can, that one exercise a day and then it's been extended. To kind of a couple of times a day and stuff, so doing that and you know uh, just try to keep busy. To be fair, you know, I kind of started um, started my license course last week uh, with the SFA, so that was pretty good, but different. You know, the first part of that is normally um, on the pitch straight away, straight into you know straight into drills, straight into coaching, straight into meeting all the other coaches. Whereas obviously you know with the restrictions now, everything was done through Zoom. You know, yeah. the gym facility which we're on just now. So, you know, and it, but it was it was great. The SFA done fantastic. You know, the way they covered it and, and took us through, you know, kind of every part possible um, was was brilliant. And I think 
not just with, with football and stuff like that, but I think there are a lot of businesses across the world. It's a new way of, of doing business. And, you know, for people that have used Zoom for a few years now, but a lot of people that's, you know, just kind of recently been introduced to it because of the restrictions and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people realise, well, maybe save them time in their business, you know, rather than travelling four or five hours for a, for a half an hour meeting. Um, you know, they maybe just throw up a, a Zoom call for an hour. So... Uh, it's, it's been good. I think there's been a lot, of, you know, a lot of difficulties and stuff like that. But there's been a lot of positives in a sense where you know people have learned new, new, you know, new skills and stuff like that as well. So I'm always that type of person. You always trying to take a positive or a negative, um, you know. And as I say, I try to keep myself busy and try to, um, you know, do as much as possible so that boredom doesn't set in. Yeah, has there been quite a few folk doing the A license with you then? Has it been through like webinars and different things like that? Yeah, so on there was actually they had to split it into two kind of uh, two kind of groups in a sense. So we started last Sunday, um, and then there's a group starting this Sunday now. On our course last week there was uh, about ninety five or something like. That. All right, okay. So and and that was covering from you know from the UK, Ireland. Uh, you know, and then right across Europe, over to America and stuff like that. There was uh, one of the guys over in Shanghai, Chui, is it uh, Shanghai? Oh, I know you know, Shenhui, I know you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's coaching over there with a, a Juventus coach who's in Iran just now. So, you know, there was, there was a massive kind of spectrum, um, which, you know, for them was probably easier. You know, for some, don't get me wrong, there was some on the calls and it was the middle of the night, you know, they're, they're having to put, you know, they're maybe getting their sleep at 8 o'clock at night and then getting up at 2 in the morning for a Zoom yeah. call for 6 hours, which must have been, that must have been a bit of a struggle. Um, yeah. But, aye, it's, no, it's been great, it's been a good start and, and obviously it'll be a lot more to come. Aye, it's a good link as well because we've got Greg Parson on the podcast next week. He's coming on next week uh, and my son's actually, he's involved with one of the West of Scotland teams so he's been doing a goalkeeping coach uh, goalkeeping coach course on with the SFA as well so Aye. Well, I think, you know, they spoke about it last week as well, some of the, the courses that have been putting on, they've been very proactive with, which has been great to see they've, you know, there's kind of mental health ones in there yes. you know, all, the, all, all your kind of usual ones, introduction to coaching and uh, and also goalkeeping coaching at the full shebang, but um, they have been very proactive, and it's been good to see. And uh, you know, I think a lot's took the opportunity to to get onto them. Whereas if they were, if it was just kind of general day to day life, you know, those kind of things might have passed them by. But they've took the opportunity to get uh, linked in them. So good. I just say it's a perfect time to update your skills anyway. Just now, there's not much time to do. So it's ideal timing. Absolutely, and I think. Especially now, people realise, you know, as time goes on, there'll be a lot of people, I think, having to change career. You know, change career, just going to completely different industries. And, you know, um, that 100% includes football. You know, I think this, you know, this term is going to be pretty tough for a lot of players and a lot of coaches and everybody involved in football just because of the, the uncertainty of where it's going to go. You know, so I think a lot of... Me personally, I think a lot of players might fall out the game because, you know, they might be on a promise of, you know, clubs saying, you know, we might, you know, we want to offer you something, but we don't know when we're going to start or we can't pay you until this date or whatever. So, you know, players, a lot of players, especially in the Scottish game, you know, 
they're not superstars, they're not getting paid absolute fortunes, you know, they're living month to month and, you know, a lot might not have savings, so yeah. it's a kid, they're not getting a, a contract with a wage coming to a football club, they're going to have to look elsewhere, you know, and if they haven't already sourced, you know, another career or a part-time career or something else in the background, then then it's going to be tough, you know, they've got to make that decision, do I go into something that's giving me an income straight away, um, or do I hold off? And on the, on the you know off chance that I may get a contract, so it's going to be tough. Yeah, definitely. Have, have you had that um, discussion with some of your players that you might have to let go as a result of this? Because there's obviously you don't even know when you're starting your season. Yeah, yeah. We've you know as a as a club, we've tried to hold it off as as long as possible. Um, and I think you know folk has been they've kind of morally been very conscious of their employees. So you know since follow came in, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have 100% of our pay, um, you know, that's everybody that's been on to furlough, and they've extended that and extended it, and now, you know, they've had to take a decision to, you know, to kind of follow with the kind of government guidelines, so they're now going to come down to um, 80%, but as you say, you know, we had to go through last week, um, you know, we made an announcement at the weekend, and we had to speak to um, a few players who unfortunately, you know, aren't going to be getting their contract renewed at the end of this month, which, you know, it's a horrible scenario anyway, and I've, I've been in that position myself, um, you know, and it, it's even more so just now because of the current climate, you know, where it might be that, that bit harder for them to get a club and there might be another thousand players out there who are looking for that same contract. Um, you know, and it is, as I said, you know, just you know, obviously being in the first kind of managerial job, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a nice thing to do. You know, stuff like that, and you, you don't like uh, that happening to players. But unfortunately, that's you know, it's part of the game, and you know, we've offered to support them as much as possible in any way we can. You know, to help them source other clubs or give them recommendations or anything at all. Um, but you know, as I said, that is tough. You know, we've seen other teams who took the opportunity straight away. You know, they let go of a lot of players, um, a lot of you know, kind of youth players and stuff like that, or they took the option just to go down to eighty percent straight away. So, I think we've been fairly fortunate at Falkirk over the past couple of months. Um, but you know, now now reality's kind of kicking around. But um, they've had to kind of you know cut tail their, their spending to you know the times that we're in. Yeah, I mean, we hear about, um, you know, players in the past have said that when they've been let go at a club, it's almost like they've just been discarded, there's no follow-up, and then it's just a case of you're no longer in a bridge, you're no longer a problem. But I think more and more people, you know, we've also guests talking about it, the importance of um, the follow after football because, you know, mental health is obviously a big thing. So it's really, it's really good to hear that you guys are trying to put something in place to help these guys, even if they're not going to be on your books next season. Yeah, well, you know, and as much as we say to them, and, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to follow up with, you know, a call or some messages and stuff like that to, to a few of them, but um, the thing of, you know, maybe they don't want that help, you know, just purely because of, you know, what's happened, the scenario that's happened sometimes, you know, some can't, can't come back to grips with that, um, but, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, you know, if there is anything, that we can do on a personal level, then absolutely we would do it to help. Because, you know, myself and, and Lee, my other co-manager, we've been there before. You know, we've been there. We've been in that position where you get told you're not getting a contract. And, um, you know, and, and you might even be sitting there thinking, 
you know, it's a contract conversation, but it's going to be an extension or it's going to be something positive, you know, because you think you've possibly done quite well, um, and you know, and then it quite quickly, you know, that shock of being told that you're not getting the contract, um, is, is pretty tough. Yeah, it's a strange situation with football. When you had these situations in the past yourself in your playing career, how did you deal with that? With those scenarios? Um, you know, I was lucky to have a, a kind of network around about me that, um, you know, that helped me with that. Or, you know, I was I was quite fortunate in the sense that, you know, I wasn't too long without a club. Um, you know, as soon as I kind of knew that I wasn't getting a contract, then, you know, I was fortunate I had an agent at the time who, you know, was quite on his toes and, you know, had a lot of contacts and, um, you know, sourced sourced a contract fairly quickly. So there wasn't too long that I was out of contract, but, you know, probably probably the whole time in my career, the only time that I was out, you know, for a month or two, there was probably maybe three or four without a contract was when I, uh, when I got an operation on my knee um, and I'd done agreed contract with St Johnston and then you know then that get put off the table because of the recovery time of the uh, operation so that was a pretty vulnerable time um, you know and, I, and at that point you know I did do a wee bit of soul searching you know in terms of you know what was he going to do I was you know the main income bringer you know and I wasn't there anymore so you know, quite quickly you start getting into savings and you know as much as you think you've got enough savings there quite quickly, you know, it starts to kind of burn away. So um, I was fortunate that, you know, the SFA and stuff had the offer. Um, rehab down at Hamden, you know, if you don't have a club, so you can still go down and get re- rehabilitation sessions. So it's some of that. And then I was fortunate at the time that uh, one of the boys I played with, Gary Holt, um, he was he was in at Falkirk. So he said to me, you know, he knew the type of person I was, knew what way I would kind of do my recovery and whatever, and said to me, come in there. So, Again, you know, I was I was pretty fortunate there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just um, ask asking that. Um, you obviously uh, at your stage um, didn't have something else to fall back on. You know, dipping into your savings. Um, I know one of your players, Michael Doyle, um, has his own personal training business. And there's Shea Logan even up at Aberdeen in the higher echelons of the game. Um, you know how important is it that football? How much more important is it now that footballers prepare for um, a second career almost? Oh, absolutely. You know, especially especially in Scotland, as I mentioned before, it's not the big money game it used to be. You know, unless you're at one of you know Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen Hearts, possibly one of the kind of um, you know kind of more higher paid um, clubs and stuff like that. Then you know, as I say, there's a lot of professionals who live week to week. Uh, sorry, month to month with their income, um, but you know that um, that process that I went through, I'd, I'd only just started. Uh, I'd done my level two gym instructor course just before that, but that was a kind of shot in the arm. You know, once I got that injury and then realised I had no contract, it was like I need to start thinking about what I'm doing. You know, and so then I, I'd done the same. You know, I get my personal training qualifications um, and started looking about. You know, coming out two or three other industries as well. Um, and it is, it's, it's massively important, but you know, you've got to say praise to the, the PFA, the Players uh, Union, who are, you know, again, they've been very, very proactive. I know uh, Chris Higgins is in there now, so he's been he's been great along with Michelle um, and Fraser and stuff like that. Really been there for the players, um, 
you know, not just on the terms of a career or a, you know, a kind of different career path or something to uh, supplement your, your football income and stuff like that, but also through the mental health and, you know, through the legal side of it as well, because I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, the kind of legal side that's going to play a big, big, big part with players getting let go from clubs and possible contracts they had and so forth. Um, and the, the PFA are playing a big part in that. And that's that's obviously what you you pay your monthly membership for, um, you know, to have them backing you in times like this. So um, it's important. It's important that they're there for the players. And as I say, they're, they're doing a great job. Yeah, it's good. It's good to hear the word support um, at times like this because um, from the outside looking at the reconstruction stuff, um, the word support doesn't seem to be falling into place. It's um, I'll try and keep my personal face um, out of this as much as I can, but obviously... No, 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 listen, that's what this podcast is about, is it? No, let's get it. Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) You just need to listen back to the last few weeks. Um, From from your point of view, I mean, you've obviously been affected because you were a point behind Wraith Rovers in an exciting um, League One race, and then all of a sudden it gets stopped. That league get called... And this, it's taken two and a half months, and eventually we were sticking with the status quo. Just give us yeah. your initial reaction. Ah, well, obviously, you know, at, at the beginning, you know, we were we were devastated. You know, we were we were angry and stuff like that, and you know, quite rightly so. You know, there was games there still to be played. We were, you know, we were in a good run of form. Um, you know, Rovers just to, just a week before that, had their main one of our main goalkeepers just get injured. Um, you know, which could be a deciding factor in the, the run at the end of the season. As you say, we were all at a point behind them. We'd, you know, had them to play the, the last game of the season, stuff like that. So there was so much there to play for, you know, and we weren't the only one in that scenario. Obviously, you look at Partick, um, Hearts and stuff like that, you know, the position that, you know, you can't, uh, you can't finish off that opportunity. You, you know, we'll never know what would have been, but... At the end of the day, you know, we now look at the scenario we're in. There's absolutely no way they could have finished the league. I don't think, um, you know, just the scenario we're in. So, you know, those guys are those guys took the vote, and I think there was a load of there was a lot of self-interest in it. Quite rightly so. Each club is going to look after their own in their own position and what their needs are. You know, whether it be financial or you know any other sort of thing that comes in there. But we. Um, you know, we as a we as a club, yeah, we were we were just per se, you know, disappointed with that. But as you say, we've went weeks and weeks now with this reconstruction chat. Um and and the first first couple, you know, I thought I was pretty hopeful. You know, I thought it was an opportunity there for Scottish football to get revamped a wee bit, you know, shake it up a wee bit, make it maybe a wee bit more competitive, bring another couple of teams into it, you know, Kelty and stuff like that have, have done amazingly well. And they've spent a lot of money, you know, to try and, you know, achieve, you know, what it was they, they did achieve in a sense. But, um, you know, unfortunately, now they're, they're going to have to do it all again, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, it is, it is what it is, you know, when I say that to uh, some of the players and stuff like that, just, you know, kind of talking on a, a kind of personal level, it's something you've got to let go now. You know, you've got to let it go because, and, and don't get me wrong, this conversation will still run and run you know, for as long as it can, you know, right into the new season until things are fairly normal, so to speak. Um, but, you know, if we keep holding on to the fact that we never get promoted or we never had the opportunity to go into the playoffs or we never done this or we never done that, then 
you'll never see what's in front of you. You know, and I'm always one for looking forward rather than behind. Um, and, you know, if you're ever going to look behind, you know, use it to, you know, kind of motivate you in a sense. You know, the fact that whenever we got promoted to last year, then let's make sure it's an absolute certainty this year. You know, we go and, you know, we do everything we can um, in terms of the squad and the players that we produce. And, you know, we start the season properly and we continue that right through. Um, whatever, you know, whether it's 10, 15, 25, 27 games, I don't know. It depends on how many teams we can pull together. I think the frustrating thing is that this was an ideal time for change to happen and for teams to all work together for the, the good of Scottish football at the end of the day. Um, but the other thing as well, apart from that, is the guy, the people that I know getting consulted as the fans. There's never ever been a thought or consideration for what would the fans like to see as well. Yeah. The voting system, yeah. we all know, is terrible. It has been for years, um, especially in the top flight. Maybe yeah. the lower leagues, it's not quite as bad, but aye, a chance to, to change things for the good and it's not going to happen. But it's a opportunity. Really. Like watching as well now. It's, is, the, is, the, is the season even going to start if Hearts and Partick Thistle are going aye. down the courts? Aye, if they're going to start going down the, the kind of legal route and stuff like that again. You know, we, we just don't know what's in front of us. Um, obviously, with the Premier League looking to start, you know, in the Championship, I think they've been kind of given a date around about um, October, is it possibly? Yeah. So, you know, we're we are hoping that, you know, League One and League Two is going to follow suit as well. If we can get the, the correct amount of teams and stuff like that in the league, you know, that are prepared to be, you know, in a position to play. Now, that's that can be very difficult for some. Depending on the kind of government issue, where you know what phase are we in? Are we in phase two? Are we in phase three? Phase four? Where restrictions are relaxed? You know where you can have eight or nine people in a group, or you can be around about people for a certain amount of time, or you can have a contact training sessions. Um, again, we just don't know. You know we're trying to plan, um, plan things for you know. What we don't know what's coming. We don't know the scenario we're actually planning for. Just up. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that annoys me is that the, the biggest issue is going to be that 42 clubs are going to be without income from bands for a good period of time. You're talking six months. Um, yeah. Even if the prem- even if the Premiership resumes at the start of August, you're still talking two and a half months, maybe longer, with no fans yeah. coming in. And you've got You've got fans that are set, that are setting up just giving pages flights of Wraith Rovers, Albion Rovers and Dumbarton, yeah. just as examples. But instead of trying to fight to make sure that everyone's okay, everyone just seems to be further apart. That's just an observation. Aye. No, I think you're right. I think, you know, and it comes down, for me, it comes down to this, the whole self-interest. You know, and that every club's in a, a different position to the next one. Um, you know, somebody might have a bit of money in the bank and say, right, yeah, financially, we can probably get through that stage and, you know, if we can use, you know, online games or something like that, or whatever it might be, you know, try and bring a bit of income through that. Um, other ones are just straight, you know, straight denying. No, there's no chance we just want to sit until we can get fans back, you know, because a lot of teams will rely, especially the part-time teams, might rely on, uh, you know, their, their functions and stuff like that you know, the hospitality on a Saturday, yeah. probably earn more for that maybe than what's coming through the gate. Um, so so it's, it's, it's tough, you know, and you can't expect somebody to say yes when there's absolutely no chance of them being able to survive. Um, 
but you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see what comes over the next couple of weeks and stuff like that for the likes of week one. You know, where there's there's maybe what three, four of us who are who are kinda of saying, you know, we're ready to go. We financially we can we can deal with us. Um and there's but there's still another group who, who can't commit to it. Um so I have absolutely no idea where it's gonna go with that. I guess what is it we've seen in the last week is this guy is it James Anderson has pledged so much money to help out Scottish football at three million across the yeah. board. So at least that's something. But you think the the government have obviously had the furlough scheme, but they could have done a wee bit a wee bit more when you think of the impact that a football club has on the community and society. Yeah. The money it brings I, in. Yeah. I, and, and even even to go into that, you know what I mean? Clubs will be missing out on that income as well. You know, whether it's high in their pitch or, you know, community teams and stuff like that, where there's a there's a revenue coming through that as well. And no idea when that's going to come back either. You know, you know, kind of grassroots football, like community football, and stuff like that. That's a, I think that's way down the line to be honest. Um, yeah. Which is going to be a massive one for for some clubs, ourselves included. You know, we we we, uh, we have the foundation that the club is not directly linked to the club, but um, you know, we work hand in hand with each other, um, and they're you know, it's a tough time for them. Um, because they have, they've got a massive setup and they, they do an amazing job in the community, but obviously, you know, have no idea when that's going to get back to normal. Yeah, I know it's that James Anderson also put money into the women's football. I think it was somewhat like 250 grand to 300 grand, which is good. And that's another league that no one's talking about because the women's football only just started when um, COVID 19 happened. So they don't even know what's happening there. I know the Scotland women's team. Their remaining Euro 2021 fixtures, um, have, have, they've got that penciled in for September, but the actual women's game, they don't know what's happening there either. Aye, it's just aye, it's, it's very unfortunate, isn't it? Because, as you say, women's football is on a massive surge just now, or it was anyway, you know what I mean? Um, and I think, you know, if it continued the next couple of years, you know, it would have been there, um, at a right decent level. Um, you know, personally, I've even I've worked alongside uh, Glasgow City and stuff like that. So I've done some strength and uh, conditioning work with them um, just last year. But you know, and to see the the progress that they've made um, just in the, the months that I was with them in terms of no, I don't mean just with myself. I mean as a club, and you know they're playing in Europe and all that kind of stuff. So you know, it's it, it was good times for them. But again, you know, it's uh, it's worrying times. Uh, ahead because you know it's it's hard enough trying to get an injection of you know income or money into you know the men's game. It's going to be even harder for that uh, for the women's game. Yeah, UEFA have been very quiet about everything. Cause, um, there's the women's Champions League that um, were supposed to be getting resumed. Mm-hmm. I think the last we heard from UEFA was they wanted the Champions League in Europa League finished by August. I don't know how that's going to happen. They were <laughs> um, penciling in the the, the Euro 2028 playoffs. Again, nothing's happening. Um, they've been very quiet, which I think is very worrying as well. Not some kind of mini tournament in Lisbon. They're going to have some kind of Champions League Royal Rumble. Is that what we're talking? Maybe. I right, just put all eight team, put all like all eight teams on the on the pitch with like eight goals or something like that. <laughs> no, first to score ten goals is the winner. Aye. 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 It's madness. It's just aye. It's crazy. It's crazy times. Yeah. We could probably talk about reconstruction and all that till, as you say, months. So we want something a bit cheerier, but more kind of cheerier subject. So going back to your early days in football, 
Uh, I know he but obviously Dundee United as a youth player, but what was your kind of introduction into football? Uh, for me, so uh, I never started playing football until I was about 11. Um, and I joined uh, Hillwood Boys Club, that was, over on uh, the south side of Glasgow, over on Pollock. Okay. Uh, and the guy that, guy that runs it, Wally Smith, he's actually just, um, he tried to call me earlier. Now, Wally's, Wally's done amazing things for, for grassroots football, um, and Hillwood especially. You know, the amount of players that have come through there, you know, Alex McLeish, Tommy Coyne, and Durant, stuff like that, um, have come through there. You know, there's a lot of... Lot, a lot of professionals that have come from it, um, and I was I was fortunate enough to, to kind of get in there at the right time in a sense. And you know, my coaches and stuff like that looked after us, and, and it was a good it was a good upbringing um, early on. Played the game for a few years, and then started you know as time went on, just the usual. You start getting a few other kind of teams watching you, or scouts watching you, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I trained trained with a few and went in a few trials when down south. Went to Aston Villa, um, Nottingham Forest, and stuff like that for a few trials. Was in it, you know, played with, done a few cups and all that carry on with Celtic and Rangers and whatever. You know, nothing really came out of them. Um, and then I found myself at uh, Queen's Park. Um, I was playing uh, in the reserves and stuff like that there. I think I was only maybe about 15 or something like that. Um, and I was playing in the reserves at that point. And then that's when. Dundee United kind of picked me up, so then I was playing with the both of them, playing with Queen's Park on a Saturday and then Dundee United on a Sunday. And then fortunate enough to get that uh, that apprenticeship, um, so signed my, signed my apprenticeship and I knew I was leaving school to go straight into uh, football up at Dundee United, so it's quite exciting and, you know, very fortunate. I always find myself looking back and realising that I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to have been paid for something that you know, I love doing something that uh, it's, it's never been a, you know, it's never been a grind. It's never been a hard ask sort of thing, um, which is very fortunate. So, you know, there, you know, I had a, had a right good upbringing, you know, in terms of as a, as a kind of youth player and stuff like that. I had um, the likes of Terry Butcher, Morris Malpass, Paul Hegarty. Um, you know, there was a few, Paul Sturrock and stuff like that, and Tommy McLean, you know, Jim McLean. You know, it was a proper old-school upbringing, you know what I mean? Which, that's yeah. a wee bit out again now, you know, and it was, um, for me, you know, I would, you know, I would never change it, um, because I think the, the kind of way that youth players go through the system now is, it's a completely different experience, and you don't get the hardened kind of upbringing that, you know, that I had when I was uh, coming through the youth and stuff like that, where, you know, you had to earn it. You had to earn respect in the first team. You know, all the player, the older players and stuff like that. You had to earn the respect by doing, doing the shitty jobs, cleaning boots, cleaning the shit off the seats in the stand. Um, you know, mopping up, cleaning the changing rooms, all the rest of it. You know, and you'd you'd take a few slaps every now and again if you if you opened your mouth in the wrong way, which is you know it's not kind of part of it, but um, it was it was good as well. It was a good uh, good bit of banter and a good upbringing. Was it helped as well in terms of knowing what the reputation was like for Dundee United brand for young players? Uh, yeah, I obviously at that age you're not really kind of thinking about that. You're not thinking about you know the history of the club and you know they've done it before and all that kind of stuff. Not until I kind of got up there and then I realised that you know the squad at the time, you know there was guys like Jim Patterson, Craig Easton, um, 
you know, stuff like that, who were who were playing in the team, and they were playing in Europe and stuff like that. You know, and they were probably at that time they were maybe only nineteen. That must have been about nineteen twenty. And that's when I thought to myself, like, that's not that far away. You know, I mean, I've got a two-year apprenticeship here, and I'll be I'll be eighteen at the time. You know, if I can can I do well enough and get myself a, a pro contract, you know, I could be playing it. Playing abroad, you know, all, the, all these things start getting through in your head. Yeah. Um, but then that gets quickly brought back down to earth when Terry Butcher starts slapping you about and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you? <laughs> Can't either the fucking body and shit like that, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> a quick, quick reality check there, eh? You've no headed it right until you've got a big bandage around your head. <laughs> with blood. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I've been there actually. Um, one one game I was playing for Wickham and bust my I bust my eye open uh, like two weeks previous to it and then it was like five minutes into the game exact same thing Bosch he'd the back of the striker's head and it just burst right open again because the stitches and they set like the dog was like I can't I can't, I can't stitch it he says I'm just going to need to try and wrap it so sure enough I'm kind of in the change room and fucking wrapped it <laughs> back again for this stupid man I've never heard the end of it who were you who were the guys then that the senior players that looked out for you at Dundee United? Was there certain ones that kinda took their time to look out for you or were they worried you would come along and take their place? No, well like obviously, um as I said, I thought of the good grounding in terms of the coaches, so like Morris Malpass and Terry Butcher, in terms of defender wise, you know, proper learning for some really good experience here, internationals. Um, you know, at that point. But then, as I say, you know, the likes of Jim Patterson, um, who's a guy, Jason the Boss, big Canadian. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, him. He was um, and, and when I came into the team, he was he was the one that was playing beside me. Um, and I probably looked like a fucking a wee skinny boy beside this guy, right? Because he's an absolute <laughs> unit. But no, he was he was good in terms of uh, you know taking me through things and you know showing me a wee bit of extra stuff and. Uh, you know, just kind of learning the basics, and I think the, the amount of time I was at the club, um, you, you know, the amount of managers and kind of coaching staff that, that kind of came and went, and obviously Alex Smith was a, a mainstay there at one point as well. Um, so he, you know, he was he was a manager at one point and, and changed my position, put me to right back rather than centre half because I was. I came into the team and you know that we kind of flurry where you come in, you're doing well and everything's brilliant. And then bang, the team's not playing well, and you're fucking, you know, every every mistake you're making is getting punished. So you know, in in the later years when I was when I came to Falkirk, I had this conversation where he said to me, he said I actually took you to there to try and protect you. He said because if I'd left you in there, it could have destroyed you altogether as a player. You know, that just destroyed your confidence and you wouldn't have come back. For it. So he took me out of there, put me on, you know, put me at right back. Um, and, and kind of learnt my trade there in a sense as a defender. So, you know, but at that time you don't realise that. You know, I said to him, I said, I thought back then, I thought, fucking he doesn't like me. Like, he's put me at right back. I'm not right back. I'm a centre half now that I should be in the middle. And, you know, all this shit's going on in your head. Whereas you don't understand that he's actually trying to do it to, to help you. So, um, but now I'm I'm in that side of the defence. And now I'm, I'm saying to players, look, want to try this, so we want to try that. And you can see the, the exact same thing. <laughs> and I tell them that story. I tell them that story. You know what I mean? That that's you know we're trying to do it to to better this part of your game, or give you a wee bit more experience, or 
letting you see the game from a different angle and stuff like that. So, you know, you just hope that, you know, they're taking it on board. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure they'll stop maybe voices in their head saying, I don't play this position. Why does he keep playing me here? You know what I mean? So, Aye, it's like, you're, it's like when you're a wee kid and your parents are telling you something and you're like, that's a load of shit. And then you become <laughs> a parent yourself and you hear yourself talking like them and you're like, oh no, you die a wee bit inside, don't you? Alex Smith was one of the best though in terms of uh, the young players in terms of bringing them through and taking them out when it was right. Obviously we're Aberdeen fans and um, we know first time what he was like with some of the players that we I, had. Of course, so. I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know what he's all about, obviously he done a massive job up there. Eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, although when I think of Alex Smith's time at Dungeon United, there's one incident that comes straight to mind, and that's the Jim McLean and John Barnes incident. Um, did you witness that at the time? <laughs> I, I never witnessed. I never witnessed it firsthand. We were we were still in the changing room at the time, um, but quite quickly, you know, we came out and people were talking about it and all that kind of stuff, and you, you weren't surprised, you know. But at that time, I think uh, Jim McLean was he was under a lot of stress at that point and, and stuff. And, just the way the conversation went, I think he'd already you know, earmarked him and said to him, look, listen, don't be asking any stupid questions about this or that. And fucking sure enough, the boy just, you know, chanced his luck and, and asked it, and that's how he got asked. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, but I, Jim McLeod, he was a, he was a hardy man. I, he was proper old school, and we used to go up for, we used to go up at lunchtime, right? So you got the stairs and, uh, we morning we'd be there and that and you'd make your rolls and you'd put your order in in the morning, right? So you'd get a sheet and it would be like two ham salad rolls and soup or something like that, whatever. And then you got the stair and uh, you see if you were one of the first up, you would go back down. I've seen boys go up and then come back down again because they're the first ones up. Because if your first one's up and the first team's not been up yet, you get your boys kicked. <laughs> the kitchen, like we would been here at the canteen and then the kitchen would be there and then right behind there was his office. So as you come up the stairs, you walk past his door, but he had a door into the kitchen as well. So he could hear any noise, sure enough, he's straight out, and fucking hell, man, he would let you know about it. Like, what are you doing in here? And you'd be like, oh, just up to get lunch or something like that. You know what I mean? Some boys, some young boys know knowing, you know, who it is they're talking to, or, you know, what it actually means to be there. And uh, you'd be like, what? See, where's the first team? Oh, they're doing the stairs, getting changed and that. What the fuck are you doing up here? And they're just like, <laughs> right. Get the fuck out! I can go and do this, or you'd be sent to do some sort of job or something like that. Um, you quite quickly learned, you know, you would go in there and get your shit and go to the table at the back so he couldn't spot you. But, uh, <laughs> but again, it was it was that whole kind of old school kind of fear factor um, that that was about at the time. Um, which you know, I wouldn't say it was a bad thing. It's just a, just a, a different way of working. There, I mean. Did they offer you a 10-year t- or 20-year contract? No, oh, unfortunately not. No, I got to nine years and fucking never even my testimony off the gimps. I was waiting. <laughs> I, was that, I, was, I was there that long. I was there that long. I mean, I'm thinking, right, I'm like, right, bro, you know, I've been here that long, you know, surely I'm going to get at least another year and a wee testimonial and stuff like this. And then it was, uh, it was Craig Levine that came in with Peter Houston. Mm-hmm. And, um, Came in and, and we were in a we, we weren't in a good place. We I think we were maybe about eighth or something like that, and we were kind of struggling a bit. And I think he came in, you know, midway between the start of the season and 
in kind of December time or January or something like that, kind of midway between there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he came in quickly and, and kind of said to, you know, I think he was leading into January and obviously all the talks about who's getting new contracts and blah, blah, blah. And he basically came out in the press and said, look, I'm not speaking to any player at all. He says, I won't be speaking to any player in January. He says, we might bring some people in. He says, but nobody here will be getting a, a, a renewal of contract. Nobody will be getting a new contract. He said, we've got too much of a job to do here. He says, and I can't have people thinking about contracts and all this kind of stuff and taking their eye off the ball. He says, we need to get a finger out and get away from this relegation zone and stuff. So so quite quickly, I was, you know, I'm, you know and when he came in, I played a game and then I was out the game and then I played a game and stuff like that. So it was, for me, it was a wee bit inconsistent because before that, I'd just been playing every game. And... Uh, so then I took it upon myself to, to go and speak to him and just I just said to him, look, you know, I would much rather know whether I was getting a contract or not. And he's like, he says, well, look, I can't tell you the answer. He says, I don't know. He says, I don't know how you're going to play between now and the end of the season. He says, leave it just now. He says, you know, before the end of January, if there's a conversation to be had, then we'll have that conversation. I'm like, All right, okay. And um, so I kind of left it. And then I think I played, never played too great. And stuff, and then I was dropped the next game, and that was me. I was like, oh, wait, I fucking need to find out what's going on here. Just, just stupid, you know what I mean? As a player, you you get fixated on something, think I need to know right now. Whereas I probably didn't, you know what I mean? But so I kind of forced the issue a wee bit, and then he said, Well, look, he said, See if you want to make a decision just now, then then you won't get a contract. He said, I think you've been here too long. He said, I think your game's stagnating. I think you're kind of going backwards in terms of your development. I said, I think you'd really do with getting away from the club and getting a, a fresh beginning. You know, getting somewhere different, a new challenge, different people, different players, playing against different people. He says, it might even be in a different country. He said, I think you really need to get away from Scottish football. He said, because you're kind of stuck now. And at the time, I'm like, ah, fucking cheeky bastard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because, you know, it's hard to take that sort of criticism. Aye. And so I was like, right, okay. And he's like, he says, look, he says, I'm not saying that and I'm going to bomb you. You're not going to be training with the young kids and all that, blah, blah, blah. He says, I still need you to play. He says, you'll still be a big part of the team and, you know, I'll still need you to play for now at the end of the season. He said, but, he said, if you really need to know, then I'll I'll tell you that just now. He said, so if you want to actively look for other clubs, then then do it. He says, and I'll help you. He says, if there's anything I can help you. And to be fair, you know, for the start of the conversation, to the end of the conversation, he kind of made me feel at ease with it. And, it, you know, he kind of, and that, I suppose that's a good manager, you know what I mean? I walked out there thinking, by the way, that's brilliant. Man. That's good. You know, I actually walked out thinking, oh, I'm not getting a contract. That's quite good. You know what I mean? What the fuck? <laughs> 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 How's that a good thing? You know what I mean? But as I said, that, that comes with years of experience. You know, he kind of turned the conversation around in the fact that, put it on a positive note, that, you know, it was a fresh start for me somewhere else. And, you know, looking back, it was 100% true. You know, I can't, can't take that away from him. It was 100% true. Um, there was a possibility of making out in the January. Uh, Paul Lambert was doing it work him at the time. And he'd try to get me on loan. Um, but I think... Uh, I think Craig Levine was possibly trying to get somebody else in, and it never happened, so I couldn't get it. Um, but, you know, from there, you know, I met uh, Paul Lambert a couple of times between then and the end of the season. 
Um, and then obviously he signed me to get into Wickham. But you know, once I went down there, I, I, did, I had to change as a player because I wasn't getting away with things, you know, because I'd been at the club so long and you know, he maybe made a mistake in the game and nobody would really say it to you because you're kind of an experienced pro at the club and all that shit. Whereas people used to be hammering me. Um, and that's what happened when I went down to England, you know, it quickly, quickly found out, so I had to change. It must have been easy at training under Olivier Enderby playing against no strikers. What's that? <laughs> it must have been easy at training playing against no strikers, though, under Olivier. I The formations were a bit mad, but um, <laughs> no, nah, you're right. But uh, to be fair, you know, at the time, uh, him and Husty, you know, Husty done a lot of the training. To be fair, a lot of the, a lot of the training was, you know, Husty was very hands on with it. And, uh, again, it was still quite old school. You know, the defence worked as a defence, and the midfielders and attackers went and done shooting and all that carry on. Um, but at the same time, obviously, you had to put the onus on the defence because we weren't playing great at that point. So, um, you know, but but it was good. It, it was again. It was just a, a different type of learning, a different type of learning for me. Um, but you know, looking back, it was probably a good time to get out of there, even though I missed out in the testimonial. <laughs> <laughs> and then you must have had one of your strangest seasons there as well, two thousand four, two thousand five. Obviously, the cup final, avoiding relegation, and then Dundee were the ones to go down. Aye, that's right. Aye, it was it was mad, you know, because um, you know as well as things are going in the cup and stuff like that, you know, it's really not happening in the league, um, and you're trying to. Sometimes the the cup games were a definite distraction. You know, you were happy to play in the cup, and that's probably why you've done so well in it because it was a, it was something away for the league. You know, it was a break, and you know. The kind of shackles come off a wee bit, whereas when you were in the league games, it was total pressure um, because you were struggling so much. So it was, it was it, again, it was you know you talk about learning experiences stuff like that. You know, it was it was a tough time to go through, but it makes you better um, as a player because you understand what it needs to you know to be out to be in that area. But again, it's not something you want to be, so you make sure that you're working hard enough to to keep yourself away from that area. Yeah, because you'd had a you'd had a bit of a season yourself because you'd had some injuries, hadn't you? That Probably, I there was there was a phase where I'd um, I'd went through some wee hamstring niggles and stuff like that, and you know calf injuries and stuff, um, which was quite frustrating because I couldn't get a, a good run at it. Um, so I was kind of dipping in and out of the team and all that. Ah, you're absolutely right. Aye, so it was frustrating for that. And then missing the you were on the bench for the cup final, weren't you? Aye, aye. So I think Gary Kenneth had played. Um, which again, you know, it, it, football gives you, you know, wake up points. You know what I mean? And I realised then it, you know, nothing's ever a given. You know, again, I, I'd, I'd been playing and stuff like that, and thought I was doing all right, and then came back for injury. I think I, I, think I might have dislocated my elbow that year, was it? Um, and I think that's what I was coming back for for the cup final. Um, and fair play to my guys, he was playing well at the time and stuff like that, and he was. You know, he was getting a lot of good press, you know, the, the next up and coming star and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, running about the kind of Scotland setups and stuff. So, yeah, it is what it is. And, you know, it was a it was a missed opportunity. It was a, I'd say it was a good day. You know, it was a, it was a good experience in the sense of being at a cup final and stuff. But, um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a wanted either. 
So you go down to Wickham. Um, you, you touched on Paul Lambert. You had him yep. the, a season. He was um, you played under. What was it like as a manager? Um, he was. I, I thought he was really good. I got on him really well. Um, obviously, fortunate enough when I went in there, um, he'd he'd made a few changes for the, the previous season. Um, he brought quite a number of players in, and then he'd made me club captain. So and he says to me, you know. Kind of get on the, the same story as Levine had been, you know, said to me, look, he said, this is where, you know, you need to change as a player and stuff like that. He said, you start, need to start maturing as a centre-half and, and stuff. Um, and he said, the responsibility of being club captain. He says, I'll teach you things and I'll show you different parts and, you know, and what, what's needed and stuff like that. So it was really good. Um, it, it, was, it was really good. And, you know, looking back, you know, people used to say, you know, he's a Martin O'Neill clone. Unbelievable as, as the season went on, you know, it was just getting worse and worse. The exact same sort of, you know, gear set up the way Martin and he would dress and stuff like that. <laughs> Short sleeves and all this kind of stuff. But he used to, used to do the same actions and stuff as well. Um, <laughs> but no, it was good. It was good. And we were unfortunate that year we get put out um, in the playoffs against Stockport. Um, so we just, we just kind of missed it. But, um, it probably made it, you know, it was one of the ones where you, we, we learned by it, you know, and, and that's what helped us get promoted the, the following season. Yeah, just somewhat what it was like, um, asking the obvious, but getting promotion with um, Wickham, that must have been a great experience. Aye, well, obviously being, being club captain and stuff like that as well, and, you know, in that summer, obviously when, when Paul left, um, there was quite a few, because of the circumstances he left, there was a bit of, uh, a bit of stuff going on behind the scenes that, you know, and it, 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 we felt as though we hadn't left in, you know, kind of the right note. The club hadn't went run about it the right way and whatever. Um, and then Peter Taylor came in. Um, and he was, you know, one, one of the best managers I worked under. Just his organisation, the experience he had through the game and stuff like that. Um, and he was very good at man management. He understood each individual player um, the way they should and, you know, gave them the right, you know, the right things at the right time, whether it be a cuddle, whether it be, you know, a kick up the arse, whether it be a couple of days off, anything at all. Um, he knew what to do and, you know, he, he said, it's funny when he came in uh, that pre-season and stuff, we had a couple of boys who were flirting around about the international stuff, we had the boy Jermaine Easter, um, who was... He was flying, you know, he'd been flying the season before. There was a possibility of him getting a move and it never happened. So he stayed and then, you know, quite quickly getting into the start of the season again, he started banging in the goals and then he got involved in the wheel set up um, and then there was a few clubs, you know, sniffing around about him. But, you know, Peter had says at the start of the season, he said, look, he said, you know, we've got a squad here. There might be one or two others that come in. He said, but I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done what you're going to do, how well you're playing. He says, I'll pick a team every week to beat the team that we're going to play. He says, I don't care whether you've had 10 clean sheets, you've, had, you know, you've scored two hat-tricks the past, four, you know, past couple of weeks, you've scored 10 goals, you're the best player in the park, you're the captain, it doesn't matter. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. He says, I'll put a team on the pitch to beat who we're coming up against. And sure enough, that's what he done. You know, and at first, boys found it hard. Because some boys were two, three games into the season, playing well, getting results, and then you get whipped out of the team. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, he'd do his team talks on a Thursday and stuff like that. 
and he'd explain it, do some analysis, we'd do some shit, and then on a Friday was just a late session. So by, by the time the Saturday came around, you'd all that anger and everything, and all that kind of disappeared because you had that kind of Thursday and Friday to get it out of your system. And then even though you weren't going to play, you were still kind of focused on the game. Um, but it was it was great, you know, and, and he done it to done it to practically everyone is done it to myself. I was club captain, took me out a couple of times because, you know, we needed a different a different style of play. Took Jermaine out, who was you know he was top goal scorer on the league, I think, and uh, and he changed him for one of the games. Put a boy Chris Zabrowski in. I think it was against um, was it Shrewsbury or something like that. I can't remember now what team it was, but. He knew, he was like, it's not going to be a great game, so it's going to be an absolute grind. Um, won't be a lot of football played, he said, but he said there'll be maybe one or two opportunities in the game. He said it'll be a breakaway. And, and Chris Zabrowski was, was lightning quick. Wasn't he the best technically and stuff like that, but he was lightning quick. So sure enough, it was an absolute dogfight. It was just, it was horrible. Must have been horrible to watch. I'm pretty sure people left after about 10, 15 minutes because <laughs> it was that bad. But... Um, we ended up winning one 0 and sure enough, Chris Chris scored with a breakaway. Like just fucking, it was just a clearance, you know, over the top, caught on it and and put it away. Um, you know, and it's looking back at things like that where it's almost as if he's predicting what's going to happen. You know what I mean? But again, that just comes with, with experience and about the leagues and experience of managing different people and uh, different players and stuff. So, uh, you know, we we done we done really, really well right to the end of the season and then we had a wee bit of a flutter, you know, a wee bit of a kind of uh, purple patch at the end of the season where we, we weren't quite getting the results. And I don't know, it may have been the, the pressure of, you know, actually getting promoted and everybody starts talking about it and stuff, it can get to you. Um, and then sure enough, on the last day, we were playing uh, Burry at home and we, uh, after about, I don't know, I think it was about 10, 15 minutes, you know, we had we had to win, I think. We had to win. Uh, no, sorry. Buddy with the other team that were going to get promoted. Um, if if they won and we get beat, they would have been promoted rather than us. Um, but, so we had to win and they had to draw. Or, you know, if both of us drew or if they lost and we drew, so I think it was only like one point or something. Um, so I ended up, we, we ended up getting beat, but so did they. I think, and we went up by something like fucking one goal. You know what I mean? But our game had our game had actually finished, and then we're all waiting on the result. You know, and there was nothing. Nobody knew the game was still going on. It went into extra time and all this kind of stuff. The fans were on the pitch or that carry on, and it was probably a good ten minutes, which seemed like about fucking two hours. We were inside the and that kind of stuff, waiting, and then and then obviously the result came through, and it was absolute carnage. It was chaos. Tables and everything getting thrown about. And, Okay, that was it. You know, everybody was uh, was up in arms, but it was brilliant. It was, it was, as I say, it was a great experience. Um, you know, fortunate enough to have uh, to have a couple in my career. So, because um, some boys don't don't get that experience. You know, some boys are always in relegation fights, or they're always mid table, or you know, they never get a decent cup run and stuff like that. So, I always think myself, you know, I'm always grateful for for the opportunities I've had and the experience that I went through. What was it like playing at uh, Adams Park, um, an old-fashioned type of ground down there, and the atmosphere? What's it like there? Ah, it was brilliant. It was good. The, you know, the the chief exec there, Steve Hayes, um, had put a lot of money in it and stuff like that, and they put a lot of the, the wasps, 
uh, rugby team. They used to train there and stuff for that as well. So he had a lot of money in them as well. But um, at the stadium and the, the fans and that were, were great. It was, it was you say, it was like an older style uh, football ground. Um, they, they kind of updated one side it with a, a pretty decent stand. But the, the crowds are good. You know, you're talking kind of four, five thousand, six thousand for that level was was all right. It was pretty decent, um, and it definitely helped. You know, it definitely helped in the, the whole matching and stuff like that as well. So. You know, you definitely need that. But it was a good change. It was a good change away for, for Scottish football, as I say. You know, I mean, something completely different. You find the standard much different when you went down there. The standard, I a lot of people, you know, a lot of the press when I went down there was it was all about you know why they came from an SPL team at Dundee United down to League Two in England. You know, and and obviously I was going through the story of needed a break, needed a change for you know, Scottish football and stuff like that, but, you know, I actually went for Dundee United, you know, who is obviously, you know, a big club, down to Wickham, who would be deemed as a, a kind of smaller club, so to speak, but the infrastructure that they had around about them was, was way, way more than what Dundee United did. You know, Dundee United, we were getting changed at the stadium, then getting a minibus to a training ground, having to set up the goals and stuff. Um, then go through training, then take it apart again, put it back in the, the bus and take it back again to the stadium. You know, there was nothing, you know, on on site, whereas Wickham had their, their own training facility. So they'd, uh, they'd have a, a training facility beside uh, Beaconsfield Airport and, you know, there was a full setup inside, they'd a gym in that inside, a couple of changing rooms, they'd, um, they'd a chef, stuff like that and then two or three football pitches as well so you know in the in you know financially the money was better as well which which definitely helped but you know it just shows you the kind of the kind of differences for, for people's you know expectation of going for an SPL team at Dundee United down to a League Two club but you know in a sense everything's getting better which is strange. Yeah, I suppose as well as the money, the money factor things is they can attract a better standard of player than quite often what the top league in Scotland can. You've seen it so many times. Uh, but your last season there, obviously that season you kind of decided not to sign a new contract. Was that kind of a decision you made quite early, or no, no, it had been left right to the right to the summer. Um, you know because uh, you know obviously we get promotion and stuff like that. And, and I'd had a conversation with, with Peter Taylor um, and I'd had a couple of meetings with the chief exec, Steve Hayes and stuff like that. And, you know, they were, they went, they went out their way to, to try and keep me there, um, you know, really improve my contract and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I had a couple of, couple of other sniffs, obviously, um, MK Dons and uh, Crystal Palace at the time were, were kind of sniffing a bit without really putting any sort of, you know, confirmed you know, offers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, at that point, I just felt that, you know, for, for Wickham, and I spoke to Peter in, you know, the, the following season, because we had been promoted, you know, if the club were financially going to put a bit of money in and try and kick on again a wee bit, then, yeah. then I think I would have stayed, but they were just kind of unsure where they were going with it. And, you know, I think they were, you know, I think they were kind of happy to be in you know, the league above and stuff like that, and they're kind of happy being there. Um, whereas me personally, I had aspirations to, you know, my aim was to get to the championship, at least, um, down in England. So, you know, which when I spoke to MK Dons, 
that was that was their drive and their focus, you know, to get promoted from League One into Championship. So straight away, it, you know, that kind of started to take me towards them, and and ultimately that's that's what I done. And you know, in the kind of long run of things, that season Wickham had, had a pretty tough time at, um, and ended up getting relegated again. So in that sense, it you know it was it was probably a right decision. Um, you know, and then moving the MK Dons, you know, the attraction of, um, you know, the club and stuff like that it was a new club, and you know, the managers and stuff like that. There was, uh, you know, it was a big opportunity. I felt, and, and just kind of felt it was an actual progression to try and to try and lift myself again. Yeah, did I read as well? It was Tim Mateo was manager, and he wasn't even there at the first day of training. <laughs> That's right. I never even got to meet the guy. Never even got to meet him. So when I went to speak to them, uh, obviously went and met the chairman, Pete Winkleman and stuff like that, and then went to the training uh, ground uh, with uh, the um assistant, Eddie. So he showed me around a bit and stuff like that, and he says, look, you know, go and get the, the contract sorted and whatever, and then we'll be in touch um, regarding pre-season. So sure enough, you know, I left it a few weeks and stuff, and then... And then all the, all the chat was about Di Matteo leaving. So then by the time we actually came into uh, for pre-season, there was no manager. There was nobody there. All it was, it was, one of, it was one of the community coaches or the head of the community. He took over um, just on the interim um, while we were going through our kind of pre-season stuff and went away. Went away a pre-season trip without a manager. Um, and then it was announced, I think it was on the, the last day we were away, they got announced obviously that Paul Ince had got the job, um, which again, you know, was exciting. You know, he worked with somebody of that calibre was was exciting at the time. So, um, right, it was a bit, it was a bit surreal, you know, to be signed by somebody and not even meet them, and then, you know, and then quite quickly you've got a completely different manager who, you know, you think I'm going here, signed for this manager, and uh, you know I've got a good chance because he obviously likes me. You know, yeah. I might have a good opportunity of playing, and then four or five weeks later, you're on a, a level playing field with everybody else. You know what I mean? You might get parked out the door. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to call Paul into governor? No. no <laughs> I, yeah. He was actually, you know, Seifer being such a, you know, such a kind of aura run about him and stuff like that, he was actually a really good enough guy. Um, and it's funny because some some players found them hard to speak to, whereas I don't know if it was just because I'm a Glaswegian and I'll talk to anybody. You know what I mean? I just kind of I treat people as they treat me. You know, I would never yeah. get a CEO or you know a pop or sitting in the street and you've, you've not got a penny. I would sit and talk to you the same way I would talk to anybody else. Um, and of course, you give somebody the respect that they're due. You know what I mean, and, and, and I did because of where he'd been and where he played and the stuff that he'd achieved, absolutely. But you know, I think we got on fairly well because we could just we could just talk on a, a normal level, um, which I think is important for you know, whether it be a manager and a player or a you know a manager and a chief executive or a chairman or whatever. You know, there's got to be that level playing field where you can actually have a normal conversation with each other, and it's not just total total business and total kind of stress related and like so no it was good it was good and I, I learned a lot of them uh, and and you know it was good to hear some of his experiences as well 
Yeah. And you nearly get a trip to Wembley that season, the area final, but you come up against a Southampton side who were probably too strong for League One at, um, at that point because they ended up getting into Premier League a couple of years before. Do you feel it was a, a big opportunity missed or was it just that Southampton were much better state? I thought it was absolutely an opportunity missed, but the, uh, the, the level of uh, quality that Southampton had that year was just, you know, by far, you know, it, it was... Too too good for anybody else in about them. Um, Ricky Lambert. Eh? Ricky Lambert up front, that would have been a tough opponent. Aye, aye, he was aye, an absolute, you know, taught me a lesson a few times. I can turn me inside out and upside down a few times, but, um, you know, it wasn't just him. He was obviously the, the man that was on fire with the goals, but, you know, the calibre of player running about him um, was too high for, for anybody that could, you know, could get near them. So, quite rightly, you know, you've seen the progression that they made and that they spent. They spent a lot of money, you know, over those those years, um, but they got their, their getting their rewards. You know what I mean? Getting into the Premier League and stuff like that. So again, it, it was moving to, you know, that kind of justified my reason for moving to England and stuff like that. Where you're coming up against a, a completely different caliber player, you know, somebody who, yeah, I absolutely, you know, you get taught a lesson because you're going into areas of dragging you here and they're dragging you there, and you don't know where the fuck you're going, but you know, that's a whole learning experience and you learn by that and you, you know better by by that kind of feeling, so to speak. Um, which in Scotland I wasn't getting. You know what I mean? I wasn't I wasn't getting that sort of testing. So um no, it was good. It was it was it was uh, it was it was a good time. Obviously it only lasted a year, which was unfortunate, mind you. Yeah, um, see, last uh, season, um, how, um, what happens at the end of that season that le- left you leaving for Bedford? No, I will just, um, you know, I think at the time, you know, I'd, near the end of the season, I'd, you know, I wasn't as consistent as I should have been in terms of my performances and stuff like that, um, which, which left me to be, you know, kind of in for a few games and out for a few games and, uh you know, and I probably, as I say, I probably didn't show up in some of the bigger games, you know, that I should have, you know, a couple of games, uh, one of the games I remember against Leeds, um, you know, by uh, Jermaine Beckford, you know, him as well, that, that kind of standard of player and stuff like that, and, and I did, you know, I'll quite openly say, you know, I was, I was kind of, no, my depth, I wouldn't say that, but, you know, I didn't play as well as I should have, um, and that probably cost me, you know, coming into the end of the season in terms of, you know, staying there for that second year that I had. Um, and the option came up that, you know, Andy Scott at Brentford um, was interested in me. And, and I think, obviously, MK Don's seen it as an opportunity possibly to get a, a better, you know, what they've seen as a better standard of player in um, for me to go out and, and somebody else to come in. Which is, you know, again, as we spoke about earlier, that's football. You know, I'm thinking, right, I've had, a, I've had a, an all right season here, first season and stuff like that. You know, get a good get a good preseason in me, and you know, kick on next year. And then, quite quickly, you're told, you know, there's an offer here for another club. We think you should take it. <laughs> I mean, you're like, oh, day, yeah, fucking hell, that's brilliant. <laughs> that tells me everything I need to know. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, it, it's one of the ones. You know, if you don't take it, where do you end up? You end up in there, and you're. You know, you're pushing and pushing, trying to get back in the team, and you know, you end up having that feeling. You know, you're you're not wanted, so to speak. So, um, I took the opportunity to move on. 
I'd went for being at Dundee United for so long and then when the space of two or three years I'd done other two clubs and I was going to my third club. You know what I mean? So I was kinda of moving about fairly quickly. Is it diff- difficult as a player kinda of off the field like moving about? Yeah, well actually like, in, terms of, in terms of location wise, I never moved at all. Right, okay. You know, like the uh, like family at the time and stuff like that, just stayed in the stayed in the same place. We stayed in Reading. Um, and I just travelled, you know, which, right. travelling to MK Dons every day was a grind, I'm not going to lie, you know, up the M25 and stuff like that, you know, it was it was hard, you're doing like 90 miles each way and stuff like that, so, you know, it, it's it's hard, and especially if you catch it at the wrong time, an hour's journey can be three years quite easily, just with a bit of traffic and stuff like that, so, um, you know, that, that, that possibly took its toll sometimes um, in terms of my performances whatever but um, I that was that was you know it was never a a thing to, to kind of keep moving because my oldest daughter she'd only just started school when I moved into England so you know I didn't want to move her out to another school after two years and then the possibility you know if I had moved her up say we'd moved up to Milton Keynes and then after a year I'm getting told oh you're not wanted so then yeah. we're going to move towards London and then you know um, so it was important that she had that kind of uh, settled upbringing in terms of school yeah definitely mm-hmm. so that, I, I, I mean how different from the outside uh, some people probably say oh, well she'll be able to adapt but when you're travelling you know 90 mile road trips just for Playing games, it's going to take its toll at some point. Um, how difficult was it, Brentford, for you? Because again, it didn't quite work out the way you would like. No, no, and uh, Brentford was a very frustrating time. It was um, probably the first time in my career where you know I was I was kind of searching, searching for myself as a player. You know, I was trying to understand what was going on with myself, understand what was going on with the manager. So Andy Scott, as I said, had signed, signed us in the summer. He signed, I think, about seven players that summer, myself being one of them. Um, there was another uh, another centre-half guy, Pim Balkenstein, he'd signed us two. He'd signed uh, another defender and then a few midfielders and stuff like that. So, But, you know, I'd went to see the training ground and stuff like that. I'd said to, to come down and see the training ground. Uh, and Pim was there as well. So he's talking to the two, he's, you know, he's going to be my two main centre-halves, this is what's going to happen, blah, 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 you know, the whole story. So we're like, right, you know, sounds good, you know, it's quite positive and stuff like that, looking forward to getting into pre-season. Went into pre-season, um, and sure enough, you know, the, the majority of the games, we had, um, we played together, or played most, of, most parts to each game and stuff. And then we got to the first game of the season. We were away to Carlisle. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the first kind of 20 minutes were horrendous, right? Everybody were just, well, fucking all the shot. Right, absolute shit. And then, when did that, I think we were in 2-0 two, two down or something like that at half-time. Right, so he's getting off his nut and, you know, a couple of boys are chipping back or whatever. Um, and then ends up, it works whips me off and whips uh, the right back off as well. Changes one of the midfielders midway through the second half as well. 
and then for there, that was it. My, my career at Brentford just died a death. I was on the bench like pretty much every single game. Um, and then it got to the point where I was travelling and I was like the 19th man. So I'm travelling down to Bristol and stuff like that for an overnight stay. I'm on the bus all the way down there, overnight stay, go to the game on a Saturday and then you're not even stripped. You know what I mean? And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, I had numerous conversations in the sense of, right, look what's happening. If I'm not playing, let me get on loan. Tell me what is I'm doing wrong. You know, what is it I can improve on? You know, what is it? You know, is it just the fact that I'm a different player to what you thought you'd signed or whatever? He's, you know, and the hardest part it was he would never have the ball just to turn around and go, you know, look, you're not good enough. I don't think you're good enough. Or, you know, you're not a player I, I, say, I thought I'd signed or, you know, I prefer, you know, somebody else or you need to go and clone this or you'll get this in your game or whatever it might have been, you know, and, and just had the balls to see it. Whereas he would always just come away with, look, listen, you know, you're doing great, you know, you're brilliant through pre-season and all that kind of stuff and just keep plugging away, you know, you'll get yourself back in the team. And there's almost so many times you can hear that that same story, you know what I mean? And then, it, it, you know, it got to the point where I said to him, look, I want to get in loan. This was probably about December or something. I says, look, I want to get in loan, you know, once you come in into January and stuff like that. Can I, can I get out in loan, just get some games? And he's like, no, 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 we, we, we need you here and stuff. So then that was me just mentally, I was I was gone because I was thinking, he's not playing me. You know, he's obviously not interested in playing me. He's taking me to games and he'll strip me, but he won't let me get and get games elsewhere. You know what I mean? So he's kind of hampering, hampering me both sides. You know, he's not kind of letting me, let me get away and actually just get some football. So um, for the first time in my career, I became like a bad egg, if you if you like. Um, you know, and I said, not, not so much in the changing room. You know, I said to the boys, you know, I said to them at times, look, I'm, I'm ruining this morning session. I'm going to be a cunt this morning. And, and I said to them, well, it's not today we're using. They're all pissing themselves off and like, hey, it's funny and whatever. You know what I mean? But I'm like, this guy's just been a fucking asshole. And I need to, you know, I need to try and force myself out somehow. So they, they, they can understood in a sense. So by that, I was, I was meaning like, you know, be doing, maybe doing a bit of shaping or, or some sort of session, and I'd just be scalping the balls away. You know, any time it came in, I just, <laughs> you know, what I mean, it might be a passing drill, and I'd just launch a pass miles away. You know what I mean? And it, the first couple of times, you know, it, I think he maybe thought it was accidental, and then. I kind of done it again and he, and he kind of stopped for a bit and he came in and he says, what the fuck are you playing at? And I went, what are you talking about? And he went, what are you doing? You're just fucking learning ball. You're, you're ruining the session. I went, I'm not ruining the session. I'm, I'm ruining the session. No, no, no. But, you know, just kind of try to kind of back it off. <laughs> I stopped. He said, just, you know, just do the drills right and all that kind of stuff. And I says, oh, no, listen, I'm trying my best here. You know, I'm trying my best to get back in the team and all that. You know, and just, just being a fucking idiot. And uh, sure enough, we kind of started another bit, and I'd done it again, just learned it. He went, look, cracks, <laughs> just, just go off, Connie. And I'm like, right, okay, and bother the boys are pissing, they're still laughing. You know I mean? but, and that was that, that was kind of, that was kind of a breaking point, because two days later, he said to me, look, you can go to loan, you can go to loan in January. He says, you're not going to play here again. I says, why not fucking tell me that then? Like, yeah. last month, two months, or, you know what I mean? Why not, why not just tell me? And it was, it was really, really frustrating at times. Just, uh, just been in that position and nobody able to do anything about it. And that's, that's what I had to succumb to, to actually get myself out. 
Uh, Aye, because you feel like you're not doing your job properly if you kind of get to play the 90 minutes at the end of the week. But I would imagine, I don't know, do you get certain players that are quite happy just to pick up the money and not even bother playing? Um, I'll be honest, there's not many that, there's not many I've played with or known the game that, you know, that would ever come out, you know, they would never admit that or, you know, I wouldn't say, I don't think I know anybody that's actually been like that, but I think there's people that know their place in a squad. Yeah. So I know, like, you know, for, take, take a goalkeeper, for instance. There's some goalkeepers who are very happy being a number two at a successful club with no ambition or they, they, they know they're never going to play. You know what I mean? But they'll sit there and they'll be a good number two. And the opportunity now and again might come up, then it might go in for a game and come out for a game and all that kind of stuff. But there's other players in a squad that absolutely know they're a number two choice for right-back position or even a number three for a midfield position or something like that. You know what I mean? And they know they're on the bench, but they know there's two guys there that are definitely going to go in first before them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how do you look at that? Do you look at it and say, well, they're just sitting there picking up their money? You know what I mean? But do they then say, I'm not having this. I'm going to go to a lesser club that's going to pay me less money. Um, yep, I'll play, but I'm going to be on less money. So uh, you could say they're money orientated and they're only there for the money. Um, and it, don't get me wrong, I know boys you know, like myself who've been in a position like that where I'm not playing and it's fucking doing my head in yeah. because I'm not playing and I'm not getting the honesty back to say this is why you're not playing. Um, and you want, you need, <clears throat> you know, you try as hard as you can to get yourself out of that situation to better it and go somewhere else and play. Um, so, you know, there's always that story about, you know, fans, you hear fans saying it all the time, and our fans say it as well, so-and-so is just there, fucking money grabber, he's just picking up the money and he doesn't care and he's not interested. You know, it's hard sometimes because, especially now, being, you know, kind of managerial and stuff like that, you see boys train every day, you know, and they battle themselves every single day and they're trying to better themselves and, um, you know, we're fortunate like last year and, you know, with without you know a full squad of boys who wanted to improve themselves. You know, they wanted to get better. They wanted to listen. They wanted to learn. They wanted to, you know, fulfil the tasks that you're asking them to do. Um, and and it's frustrating sometimes to hear the way fans speak. But you know, who am I? You know, fans have got the right to say what they want. You know, where they come and pay their money, and that's that's what they do. They, they come and vent their frustration because they'll see what they want to see. They'll see a fixture of the game, they'll see, you know, the way the game goes in their eyes. They'll see something completely different to me. They'll see something completely different to the person sitting next to them. But that's that's how it is and that's you know, the game's got to have that. It's got to have it. It's like that famous saying, opinions are like assholes, everyone's got one. And and that's just what it is, you know what I mean? You're you're entitled to your opinion, so you know, if somebody does say something, you know, as long as it's not too personal, I yeah. think, you know, yeah. I think that away. Right. So your career ended in England, um, and then you go back up the road to St. Johnson. Uh, how did that move come about? Well, obviously, Danny McInnes was there, so I'd played with Dale um, at Dundee United when he was there. So, so I knew him, and, you know, I'm still... Uh, had a lot of conversation with him whilst I was doing in England, you know, 
he would phone about players that I'd played against in there that was possible wanting to sign and just kind of general general talking through the, the time that I was down there and and his assistant Tony Dock he was at Dundee United as well when I was there so I know I knew both of them and um, he knew that my time at Brentford wasn't going well obviously because I was you know in conversation with him stuff like that so um, you know there was some kind of family issues going on as well and, and it, it probably kind of LinkedIn, you know, and I and I probably seen it as an opportunity to get back up the road. You know, he'd um, he'd offer me a contract and stuff like that, and uh, and kind of painted the picture for me. And in that kind of last six months that I was in there, so just I'll, I'll kind of touch on it quickly. I'd got out on loan, went to Bristol Rovers, um, but I played about six games and then got injured, done my hamstring, uh, but they extended my my loan, so they'd only sign me for a month's loan. But they extended it to the end of the season, and uh, and then get back playing, and then the manager uh, Dave Penny get the sack. <laughs> Fucking some like, wow, what's happening here? This is just going to <laughs> jinx. <laughs> so, um, so the captain at the time, Kev, um, he he put in uh, on interim uh, kind of manager basis. So he he kind of started playing boys who'd been there, and he knew and, and stuff like that. That was fair enough. So I never played that many games. Um, so by the, by the time I got to pre-season at St. Johnson, I was fucking miles off it. Right? So I was absolutely, you know, I'd put on a bit of weight and all that kind of stuff. And I've always been pretty lean throughout my career. Pre-season has never, never troubled me. I've always been a good runner, you know, been fairly comfortable with any sort of pre-season and that. But I came back up the road and thought I was in good shape because I'd been in the gym and stuff like that. And, but... Quite quickly, I found out that you know I'd, my cardio side it had completely disappeared, and I was just I was just pure bulk. You know, what I mean, I'd probably put on about a stone and a half of muscle, but it was too heavy. Um, so that pre-season was horrible, absolutely horrible. I had boys lapping me on certain runs and all that kind of stuff, and that was never that was never me. So you know, Dad says to us at the time, he said, "Look, you need to do you need to do about what." Need to do a you know kind of extra work here to get yourself back to to where we know you should be. So I played the first couple of games of the season, and then they pulled me out and they said, "Look, I'm going to give you about a month." He said, "You're not going to play at all." He said, "You're just going to get battered." And I was like, ah. "At first, it was quite you know it was quite hard to take because I'd always regard myself as a kind of fit player, but you know I had to quickly face up to the reality that you know I'd let myself go, and I had to you know I had to get myself back into it. So, um. You know, the kind of fitness boy at the time, Graham Kirk, who's now up at Aberdeen with him, um, he'd, uh, he'd just battered me for weeks. And, you know, and it did help. I dropped a lot of weight and stuff like that and get back into the team. Um, and then it was it was brilliant. It was great. You know what I mean? He's training and all that kind of stuff and his style management is really, really good. Um, and, you know, and obviously we get into, we get into uh, Europe and stuff like that as well. So, so that that again was was another massive achievement. So it was it was, it was great. It was a great return to kind of Scottish football, so to speak. We need to ask as Aberdeen fans, and what's it like as a manager? What makes them what makes them kind of tick and special? Because Aberdeen certainly there's no many players want to leave Aberdeen, which is always a good thing. I think sign of a good manager, oh, team spirit. Yeah, uh, he's very he's very big on that. You know. That bond, that kind of uh, team spirit, as you say, and you know, having a place that people want to go and enjoy their work. And I think, you know, 
I think I probably took some of that into my, my own kind of managerial career. You know, try to create an environment where players want to be. Um, and and Dale and you know Tony Dockery's assistant. That's exactly what they create. You know, we've done the same at St Johnson. Um, they got them promoted and stuff like that. And, and you know, that's that's exactly what it was. Um, they had a group of boys who they wanted to really work hard for each other and work hard for the, the management team because they made them made the players realise that everybody was in it together. You know, everybody was trying to achieve the same goal. So, um, and that's that's obviously what he's done up at uh, Aberdeen. You know, it's it's incredible. It's incredible that the standard they're at now, considering where they were at before before they went up there. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think the you know with the new the new kind of training facilities and all that kind of stuff, the new infrastructure and about it, they're only going to go from strength to strength. I definitely. I mean, he's been one of the the drivers of that training ground as well. It's something that he wanted to see through, and it's going to be a matter, I think, in terms of showing someone around that facility. It's I massive. He still looks I like he could play football as well, didn't McInnes? He looks like he's fit. I know. I, I don't know if he's fit or not, but he, he looks <laughs> it, doesn't he? He likes it. He's a good looking guy. He likes it. Aye, he's so bad, aye. He's always been like that, aye. How's my favourite? Aye. With the, um, <laughs> no, you see, you know, there's, there's been opportunities out there for, um, for him to leave. You know what I mean? I'm sure, was it a few years ago, Rangers were trying to tap up. Yeah. And stuff like that so you know what I mean and that just shows you know the vision that he's obviously got there and you know the stuff that he's wanting to achieve at Aberdeen and you know he's, he knows that obviously he's well liked there and you know he's got the opportunity to achieve even more than what they've already done which, which has been incredible you know the past few years and stuff like that has been fantastic yeah I think the relationship he had with Stuart Millen as well was very special um, and that's, like that. that's important that's what I'm saying you know what I mean you've got to have that level that level of kind of, you know, partnership in a sense, where you can talk to your, your chairman or whoever it is you're working alongside, um, and you've got to be on the same sort of, so saying, you've got to be on the same hymn sheet, you know what I mean, singing for the same hymn sheet, and I think, you know, just to look at that and look at, you know, where we're at at Falkirk just now, um, myself and Lee, you know, alongside the kind of, the current setup, you know, they brought in Gary Deans, who, who's done incredible the way he's kind of turned, you know, that, that part of the club around and stuff like that. And he's very transparent and he's very honest with the fans. You know what I mean? And he'll say it how it is. He'll know bullshit and he'll know dress it up. He'll tell you when it's, when it's no good and he'll tell you when it's, you know, it's been good. Um, but, you know, him alongside the number of the board members, like Miller and Andy Thompson and stuff like that, some of the guys who have been there for a number of years, they've worked tirelessly. You know, it's been a tough couple of years for them. You know, coming down, you know, and, you know, an influx of players coming in and out, and managers coming in and out, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, when myself and leaving in there on the interim basis, we said to them, "Well, they said to us, look, we can't guarantee you anything here. You know, we're just basically asking you to come in and help us. You know, just kind of level things out a wee bit, help us, just steady the ship. You know, and and we'll kind of see where it goes." And we said to them, you know, myself and leaving a conversation, we said to them, look. We're not here just for the interim. We're here to, to, to do a job long term. So it's whether you, you know, whether you take us up on that, then that's up to you. But we want to show you for the word go, you know, how we're going to affect this club and how we're going to take it back to, to where we, we know it can be. Um, 
and I think they're bringing Gary in. Uh, it's been fantastic. He's he's now, as I say, we're all on the same sort of level and what we want to achieve for the club. Um, and it's it's not only just take you know a season. It's going to take two, three, four, five years. You know, to build it and can I get it to where to where folk it should be? But it's it's exciting. You know, it's exciting and and it's good. As I say, you know, just comparing it. Obviously, the relationship that, that Dale and Doc maybe have with Stuart Mullen and stuff like that, or the, the owners there. Um, we, I think we've got something similar in it, and it's exciting, you know, what's, what's to come. Yeah, you want yourself to know there's going to be that bit of stability as well and be there for a few years and build something. Aye, aye, and, and you know, we've spoken about that in terms of, you know, our vision for the squad or our vision for players that are going to come in or what we want installed back into the club in the next few years in terms of, you know, the whole youth development side and yeah, you, just now it's a very hard thing to start, you know, introducing because it's been made even harder with, you know, obviously the current climate and stuff like but there's, you know, there's been conversations about that, you know, and again, it's not, that's not an overnight process, that's not something you can just do in, you know, one summer, you can get a whole influx of players and start building an academy and all that kind of stuff. That's going to take a number of years. So um, there's a lot of planning, you know, to go into it and already going into it. So um, we'll just see how that develops over over time. Yeah, you were obviously a former player at Falkirk. So after St. Johnson, you go there in 2013. And over those four years, there was almost a successful, um, a successful period in terms of you didn't quite get to the Premier League. You didn't quite get the Scottish Cup, although you got to the final. How big a missed opportunity does that feel now, especially knowing that you're up against 10 men for the last 15 minutes? You spoke to John Hughes a few weeks ago against that one. I kind of forgot about that, but you've just fucking talked about that. See, who's good, John, now? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I changed roles tonight, ain't you? Aye. No, it was. I agree. You know, looking back, we probably didn't realise. Uh, how good a squad we had, you know, and, and how good the setup was we we hosted there. And, and don't get me wrong, the, the first year I went there, obviously with Gary Holt, um, we were unfortunate we went out in the playoffs against Hamilton. Um, and then, you know, and then the next year, again, I think the next year, was that the, the cup year? No, sorry, we had, a, we had another year at the playoffs and then it was the cup year. But every year, you know, every year that um, I was there, there was there was that opportunity, you know what I mean? And we just just missed out. Obviously, you know, not winning the cup, but even in the playoffs, you know, the last year, um, down at Kilmarnock was was devastating. You know, we were down there after the the first game at Falkirk, we were down there by one 0 lead, and you're thinking, right, guess a steady start into the game, um, you know, and can I build for there? And fucking, they came out like the absolute animal. Honestly, just came out and just ran ran out of toppies, um. Which was was massively disappointing, but you know, as as, as a club captain and that, obviously, you know, I done it with Wickham, uh, you know, as a coach at Peterhead, you know, getting your promotion and stuff like that's massive to be part of these things, and and even you know, I still look at it, you know, and, and very grateful to kind of lead the team out at Hamden and stuff like that, and yeah, absolutely, that's what I agree. It's a massively missed opportunity, and we probably probably went for that a wee bit because. Um, because we, we were up against 10 men and we get a sucker punch. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's something that you know, we'll learn by. And, you know, especially some of the boys that were in that team that day, um, you know, learn, learn and I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll, 
and learn for that for, for the rest of our career. Mm-hmm. I mean, Inverness had a good side, to be fair. I mean, they finished up in the league and beaten Celtic, possibly controversial in the semi-final, but uh, you certainly gave a good account of yourselves. It's just unfortunate that um, you suffered from maybe going too gung-ho. Um, Aye. Aye, no, it was just, I, it was that. It was probably just, you know, um, it's probably the best opportunity we would have had, you know, thinking about some of the other teams that were running about the semi-finals and the, the quarters and stuff like that. Um, you'd have probably, you know, looked at it and said, you know, it's probably the best opportunity we've had up against Inverness, and that's no um, any kind of, you know, down on them. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't to be, and just wasn't to be that day. Yeah, and um, you, you've also touched on the Kilmarnock game. Um, another big win, Dundee United, um, having taken a draw from Tannadice, your former club, obviously, leading in that second leg. Um, in that CFL and then it just went to pieces again and that must in your last year as, as a club um, as a player that turned out to be I must have a real devastating game finished aye aye it was in the uh, you know it was funny I always remember back to you know we were in the warm up and stuff like that and it was it was extremely warm that day right? but you know it felt just like a, a party you know what I mean we came out and all the fans were there it was absolutely packed and the music was pumping and you know, all the boys are lying, they're looking about and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, I'm trying to fucking get them to, you know, get tuned into, just fucking get tuned into the warm-up, get tuned into, like, the massive game that's coming in that, and the boys are talking about this, and they're pointing at people, and, oh, they're so-and-so, and blah, blah, and all this kind of stuff, and I come in for the warm-up, and I said to Hustie, I said, look, there's fucking miles off it there, like, their heat's, like, you know, their heat's in the party, and not the fucking game. So he kind of said to them, you know, and try to kind of rein them in, and just say, you know, we need to get ourselves focused on the game, block out everything that's going on when about us, you know, all that will be there at the end of the game if we if we win the game and stuff like that. And uh, as I say, just you know, at the start of the game, we just, I don't, I just don't think we were expecting Kilmarnock to come out like that. And the way they came out, you know, and they got a really good start to the game, and 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 for there, they were just on the front foot. You know, they they could sense it. You know, after they get the first goal, they could sense. Um, that we were we were miles off it, um, which was disappointing. You know what I mean? Because we could have gave ourselves, you know, a much better account of ourselves that day. Um, but you know, it's all learning. It's all, it's all learning experiences. Yeah, um, and then you you obviously leave um, Falkirk as a club going a bit of a decline for a couple of years, um, relegation, and then you and Lee um, end up coming in. So. How did that? How did that come about that you two um, were asked? And did you have any conversations prior to um, getting off of the job? I know it's funny. So obviously after I'd, uh, I'd stopped, uh, I stopped the uh, club captaincy and stuff like that. You know, I mean, I wasn't there as a player. They'd actually offered me a job, so they uh, just bought a performance gym in one of the stands. So they'd offered me the, the job to uh, to run that, and that, that obviously goes back to. One of the first points we were talking about of having that, you know, that other kind of career beside you, that other kind of qualification mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So because for the past kind of two or three years prior to that, I was doing personal training and stuff. Um, the club knew this, and you know, and that's why they offered me the job. So I was in that. I was in that for the best part of a year, probably about eight months, ten months, and then and then getting made redundant for it. But. Um, I was always still playing part time at Peterhead, 
But through all that time, you know, when Lee was still at the club and then even when he left to go to Livingston, we were still we were mates anyway, so we were always kind of conversing, you know, having conversations regarding Falkirk and what's happening, players are coming in, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and then as it started to decline, as it started to kind of drop and stuff like that, and, you know, things weren't going well at all, we were, you know, the conversation was starting to turn to, you know, and there was still a lot of fans that we were in contact with, and they would still get in touch and say things like, you know, oh, wish you were back here, and wish you were back doing this, and you would you know what the club is about and all that kind of stuff, and it's hard because you can't affect it, you know, you can't do anything about it, and yeah. as much as you want to, you know, you can't just turn around and say, you know, I want to come in and help, or I want to do something or whatever, um, you know, and we'd met in numerous times for a coffee and whatever, uh, but just, it just so happened the week before, um, Ray McKinnon was, was sat and stuff, like we'd met for a coffee, and we were just, we were just kind of talking, and, um, you know, and we were, we were talking about Falkirk, whatever it says, you know, it would be great like, if, that, if that opportunity came up, ever. We, we, we weren't actually talking about Ben, we were just talking about, you know, if that opportunity ever came up, it would be brilliant to go back and, you know, go and right a few wrongs, so to speak, and, you know, try and make, you know, try and get the club back to where it should be. And sure enough, I think it was on the Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I, I got a call for Jim McAnally, Peter Head, just saying, look, listen, uh, Falkirk's been in touch, asking to speak to you about the the role because obviously uh, he get the they sorry get the sack on the Saturday night I think. So I was like, oh, alright, and he's like, she's what you know. And I, I was very fortunate because at that point I was uh, part time with Peter Head and I was actually working in Arnold Clark. Um, so I've been in there for about six, uh, no, about four months or something like that. Um, and both both managers, obviously Jim McAnally and uh, guy John Dunn at uh, Arnold Clark, who's who's a kind of football orientated person anyway. Two of them are great. They say, look, go and you know go and see what the opportunity is. You know, Falkirk basically said, look, there's nothing that we can promise you. you know, we're, we're asking you to come in and help us and uh, and you know just steady the ship a wee bit you know you know what the club are about you know we need you to put a bit of stamp on the, the squad and let them know what, you know what's needed sort of thing and uh and jim and john both said to me look go and go and try go and see what it is if it doesn't work out then you still have something here to come back to which was which was great you know i mean it was it kind of took that pressure off of getting into a job for two weeks three weeks four weeks however long and then just you know Right, listen, we're going to sign this manager. Thanks very much. See you later. Um, but as I said, you know, right for the word go, we um, we let the club know, you know, our intentions. Um, and and I think that I think they seen that early doors the way we kind of changed the atmosphere around about the club and when we changed training and you know put the positive back into the club and you know put a bit of drive back in as well. Just you know a bit. Of, can atmosphere run about it as well because the first couple of games, don't get me wrong, were were pretty tough. Even though we were winning the games and stuff like that, you know, we quickly realised where the fans were at as well because I think it was the first home game against Stranra and the stadium was like a morgue. It was dead. It was just like, there was loads of fans there but it was so quiet and it was about 10, 15 minutes in and I turned to Lee and I was like, what's happening here? It was fucking, you could hear a pin drop. You know what I mean? And that 
that silence, so to speak, definitely affects the players. You know what I mean? Because there's no atmosphere to, to kind of work against and stuff like that, kind of build yourself into the game, or there's no reaction for the crowd when you make a tackle or a good pass or stuff like that. Whereas when we were there before, the fans were at it, you know, as much as we were. They were singing, they were chanting, they were driving you on it near the end of the games, and that's what helped us get a lot of results, you know, late on in the game and stuff like that. So we knew we had a massive job to do with them as well. So, you know, we've, we've put a lot of effort into that and we've tried to show that, you know, the fans are a massive part of it. Um, you know, for the word go, you know, we've always known that since we played there. Um, and, and, and even now, even, you know, at times like this, it just shows how loyal the Falkirk fans are because going through things like, you know, the club offered... Uh, a refund on the season tickets and stuff like that. Well, I think the club could have ended up spending about maybe 95 grand or so, something like that, maybe close to 100 grand. And I think, you know, I think they must have saved about 90 grand or something like that because fans have just said, no, we don't want the money. You know, we know the club needs it more than us. And that tells you a lot about your fans. You know what I mean? And even through all the hard times, they're still bringing in, you know, they're still bringing in 3,000 fans and stuff like that. Which is incredible, you know. Some 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 of the Premier League teams struggle to bring that at their, their home games and stuff. So, uh, no, it's it's important for us to to make sure the fans know how important that is um, and how much they put into their performances and the way the players feel and what it is we are trying to achieve. Because we need them. We need the fans. You know, we need the board. We need the chairman. We need you know we need the guys running about the stadium that do all the bits and pieces. We need you know all our coaching staff and. Uh, you know everybody that puts in a wee bit. You know, and we've said this. You know, we've, we had a few meetings and pulled everybody into it to make them realise that it wasn't just me and Lee that were going to change things. You know what I mean? It was every single person that does all wee bits and pieces on the stadium. And and sometimes you know you, people need that wee bit of recognition just to say, oh, listen. You know, as much as you don't think about the fact that you're selling tickets or you're selling strips or you know you're making tea or you're you know you're working on the pitch and stuff like that. That's all part of what we need, you know, run about us to make things happen for the players. And uh, So it's important, you know, and, and I think once we get back to it, then we'll get back to growing that again, um, which is exciting. Yeah. And, and see when you, um, there was a tweet from a fan um, today, Carl Barson, saying that she's got two happy children today after being told that we and David were managers for the season. Ahead. See when you, you read things about I get um, a woman and her two kids going to um, excited to come back to see Falkirk. That must be really heartwarming. I know, but we've met we've met wee man loads of times and he comes into the stadium and stuff like that. And uh, he's been through a wee bit of tough times, wee operations and stuff like that. And you know, we've seen Kai a number of times, as I said. Um, and it's you know, as you say, it's important to have families like that run about the, the club. Um, you know, and we've done it done it a few times, and I'm I'm no want to open the floodgates here, you know, but you know, there's been numerous occasions where people have contacted and says whether it be or, you know, it's you know, it's somebody's birthday or, you know, they had a strip but they never get a chance to get it signed at the game and stuff like that. And we've just openly said to them, look, come back down. You know, come back down in Thursday morning or come back down in come back down at lunchtime on Monday. You know, come in, we'll get the strip signed, you can see the players, you know, come in and have a chat in the coaching room and stuff like that. And it's all very, it's all very relaxed. You know what I mean? It's not as if you know we're hiding anything from them. You know we want them to be part of the club. 
Um, and as I say, we've done that numerous of times. And, and Kai's been in, Kai's been in and run about the changing rooms and and stuff like that, you know, and, and seeing the players and everything. And you know, as I said, we know how important that is to the club. You know, to have their community and have the, the fans, you know, feel part of the stadium and the club because because they are basically, you know, what I mean, they are a, they are a massive part of it. So um, we, you know, myself and Lee know how important that is, and we do everything we can to try and get the fans involved in that. Brilliant. Uh, so was it decided quite early on that you'd be co-managers? How did that come about? Because you don't see it as much now. Aye. Maybe. No, I know. And, yeah, I think the only, the only other instance I know is probably Poison Ross County. Yeah. Um, that's changed now, ain't it? That's, um, aye, it is. Aye, it's, that's changed now as well. So it's funny because myself and Lee are very similar people. So, um, you know, we're very upbeat, very positive people and, you know, we like to help people run about us and, you know, kind of put a positive spin on things that are happening. Um, and we're very outgoing outgoing guys, you know what I mean? We like to laugh and we like to carry on and all that kind of stuff as well. And we've always been like that. Um, and when it came to, you know, when we were talking about position, <laughs> when we were actually talking about getting a job, it was one thing that never came up. Like, thinking back now, like, it was, one, it was never a thing that we kind of said, like, are you going to be the manager? Am I going to be the manager? Are you going to be the coach? What is it? Which, you know, or that kind of stuff. That was never a conversation. Um, and even when we were in the interim basis, there wasn't any kind of mention of it. Um, and quite quickly, we just we just flowed. We just, you know, some things I'll do, some things Lee will do. Um, and it, and it, it just kind of works in tandem. Um, there's, there's no a good cop and a bad cop. Or there is a good cop and a bad cop. But it's never the same one all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like one day it'll be me, next day it'll be Lee, and the same day it could be both ways. You know, uh, it just it just kind of whatever whatever's needed at that time, you know, just seems to kind of happen at the right time. So, um, I think that's important, and I think uh, look, both of us we're we're growing as people as well because you know we've got a good staff in about us, you know, and we're quite open to say to staff. If we're doing things and you've got an opinion on it, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether you think it could be better, whatever, then speak up. You know what I mean? Speak up and tell us if you think something could have been a wee bit better about the session or you've noticed something about one of the players. You know, we need we need to be open about it. We need, you know, we need that backroom staff um, to be with us and we need them to see our vision and, and understand what it is we're trying to achieve so that we can, you know, better... Um, better the, the team you know it's funny just last week um and greg will greg will probably love this right if you if you mention this just say to him that i was talking about the, the team behind the team right okay. so that question steve salas had done some stuff um he was on as a guest and he was talking about the kind of mindset of players and coaches and managers and stuff like that and one of the questions was like who's more important is it the team or is it the team behind the team as in you know your backroom staff and stuff like that and, you know, at that time, we all kind of broke into wee different rooms, in a sense, on Zoom and had conversations about it. And there's, you know, as Steve was saying, there's no right answer for it. Everybody's got their own answer. But for me, personally, it's the team behind the team. You know, if we can get, you know, myself and Lee a long way, you know, a backroom staff, Graham Henderson, Derek Jackson, you know, a physio and stuff like that. We Bobby Wilson, who's been there for, for about 100 years, you know, we need all of them to be on the same level as us because we need to be portraying the same message and the same vision to the players. 
you know, if there's one of us getting into that changing room and try to tell them, right, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, you know, you'll maybe hit four or five who might pick up on it. But if there's five of us getting in and going, we need to do this, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to achieve, then five is are hitting five people. Yeah. You know, then quite quickly you're getting to the majority of your squad. So it's, it's really, really important that, um, that, you know, that we're on an understanding that, you know, of what we're trying to achieve together. So, um, so it's good that, you know, and, and as I say, we're growing every day, our relationship's growing every day. You know, some days we sit and, and uh, I don't know if, like, you know, the, the board know that or the chairman might want to hear this, but, you know, we sit <laughs> some days and like, fucking hell, this coaching job's all right, isn't it? It's, fucking, you know, it's not too bad, this management, carry on. You know what I mean? Because, because we're, we're not really generally kind of stressful people, but, you know, we like to enjoy what we do. You know what I mean? And that's one of the first things we said to the players when we were in. You know, we're, we're going to create an environment that you enjoy being in. You know, you, you need to enjoy going to your work. If you don't enjoy going to your work, then it, it makes your job ten times harder trying to portray or trying to ask you to do something when you're switched off. And that, you know, I might be kind of getting off a wee bit of a tangent here, but, you know, getting into a deeper level of that, for me and Lee, it's, it's not just about the player, it's about the person as well. So we like to understand the players. So, you know, we open our door and we say, you know, if there's something going on, whether it be financial, gambling, you know, drugs, anything at all, you know, some sort of problem you've got with the family, you know, if it's just your performances, anything, you know, if you feel as though you need to get something off your chest, then come in, come in and speak to us. Or if it's no us, you know, we'll get, um, you've got the, the uh, club parish and stuff like that. He's, he's there, to, you know, Mike's there to, to talk to players and stuff like that. There's always people, you know, to link in with. Because um, that's important. You know, it's important if we've got a player there that's coming into training and he's stressed about what's happening at home. You know, we've maybe got about 30% of his mind, you know, because the other 70% is thinking about, you know, what's happening at home or I need to hurry up and get training and I'm done so I can get changed and get away because I need to get away because this is happening and that's happening and blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff's going on in the head. You know what I mean? So if we can try and clear the barriers a wee bit, then it gives us more of an open mind on the pitch. We might get 60, 70, 80% of their mind on the pitch, which makes it better for them to take in the information we're trying to. Try to give them. Yeah, absolutely. No, good. I mean, we'll definitely ask him about that. Then the whole team behind the team and see what he says with that. Um, so what we'll do? We're always going kind to of towards the end. We move on to what we call the quick fire section. Though recently it's become the slow fire section because yeah, it never lasts. It never lasts. Absolutely slow, right? See if it's any sort of quiz or that. I'm fucking terrible at it. Actually, we're not we're not actually like the capital of Paraguay or something like that. It's nothing like that. Like that. Uh, it's P. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah. No, it's mainly kind of football stuff and a bit of fun stuff as well. So, and then the the big showstopper from Good John at the end. Right. Um, so, the one we usually like to start with is what's the best dressing room prank that you've been involved in or seen in your career? Uh, that you can tell us. I was, I was going to say there's been quite a few, right? And normally, normally I was involved in it as well, right? Because I, I like that <laughs> stuff. I like being, I like being, you know, a bit of carry on and all that kind of stuff. So, 
Um, <laughs> but going back to, say, Dundee United, so uh, I used to travel with Billy Dodds, Jim McIntyre and Mark Kerr. So right, I used okay. to travel from Glasgow up to Dundee. Now, uh, one of the boys um, that was there as well, boy Stuart Duff, so you know Stuart Duff. Ah, yeah, yeah. That as well, right? So, so Duff was... So we were we were all quite close in terms of like myself, Mark, Mark Hare, um, Stuart Duff, Lee Mayer was there at the time, uh, Lee Muller, stuff like that, round about that same age group, right? So, but we were always fucking about in that, right? And always trying to create some pranks or, you know, take a piss out some of the older ones and whatever. So, and the older ones being Billy Dodds and Jim McIntyre and stuff like that, right? So, I think Dodge had done something to wee Duff a, a couple of weeks before it or something. But um, he, so Duff would remember, like, obviously just noted this and wanted to get him back. So anyway, he'd, uh, I, I, think, I think Duff was injured at the time. So we'd went to training and stuff like that. And uh, so Duff went out, changed, took Dodgy's Reggie plate, right? So his front Reggie plate and turned it round and wrote Big Nose on the front of it, right? <laughs> and then fucking put it back onto his motor, right? The, we didn't even know this until we were halfway down the road, right? We duff Texas and told us we never even noticed. We just came out of uh, training, get back in the motor, and then and then shot back down to Glasgow. Dodgy's drove all the way down the road with this fucking Reggie plate, and then <laughs> I, I think it was after he, uh, I think it was after he dropped us off. Um, and I don't know, if, I don't know if it was a police or somebody stopped him to say, listen. Something's happened to your Reggie plate, and he got out and shoot his fucking back. He's still laughing. Just but one of the things you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally come out and look at your Reggie plate. You know what I mean? Aye. So, um, so it kind of done him with that. That was that was obviously one of the kind of cleaner ones. There's loads like uh, <laughs> you, you used to get all the old all the old stuff and all that. Boys putting you know deep heat in the boxes and all that kind of stuff. So. Boys would come in for training and get showered and changed and put on their put on their pants <laughs> and, their clothes and all that kind of stuff. And then five minutes later, they're like, fucking hell, man! <laughs> and obviously the, the the deep heat rub was on their pants, and that you know what I mean. So uh, stuff like that used to get, you know, when I was first at Dundee United, um, if it was your birthday, used to get <laughs> used to. Uh, Get stripped naked, right? You get you get a, a doing, so you get taken in the boot room, get battered, and then you get covered in boot polish and all that, right? So proper old school, right? Where you used yeah. to get for the boots and all that. That's how, that's how far back we're going, right? <laughs> so, but you had the brushes and that, so boys would be scraping with these brushes, dubbing oil your body. You get sent out, you had to do a lap naked on the pitch, and then you come back in. Boys would get a hoodie again, take you outside onto the street. So at that point. I think it was Paul Sturrock uh, and John Blackley were the manager and assistant. So we used to have to wash our cars and all that. I think so that was part of your job, you had to fucking wash the motors. So some of the boys were out washing the cars and that anyway. So we you would get taken out, tied up to the, the lamppost, and then just fucking soaked and left there while the boys were washing the motors. We'd be like covered and covered and all that kind of stuff. And the cars driving past and all the rest of it. But... Uh, Okay, there was loads you could go on for. Aye, stuff that you just couldn't get away with at any other workplace. No, I was, you know, <laughs> there was one, you know, one of the boys had uh, left a fish, left a fish in one of the boys' boots, right? So, but it, and it was fucking honking, right? So he left it, 
put it in there again. Must have been injured. Now put it in there. Boys went to training, and uh, he's left it just in the boot. So as you open it up, he's kind of left it under a jacket or something like that, right? So boys found it, took it out, and thought, right, that's it. You know, had, had to get his car valeted and all that kind of stuff. But then about a week later, it's still reeking, and it's still reeking a fucking fish. So he's like, ah, reading about, down the side of the doors, under the seats, and all that kind of stuff. He put another one under the spare tire, uh, like in the boot, so right underneath. So it was, <laughs> it was all, all the oils and all that were coming out of it and all that kind of stuff. So I think uh, I think it was another famous one where Gaza did that while in the coins, I think. Gordon Jerry. Gordon Jerry, aye. Yeah, but that. Aye. Aye, so it's been, <laughs> aye, it's been been about a few times, aye. <laughs> uh, Grant Campbell, I thought, um, who was a guest in our podcast, um, he asked, who always bought the pints tonight night out? This could be anything. Who always, all right, well, to be fair, like, a football night out's always, uh, it's always a kitty, you know what I mean? So it would always, always be a case, you turn up and, you know, don't get me wrong, as you're turning up, everybody... Whoever was turning up would be like, right, there's three or four pints, four or five pints, whatever. You would kind of buy the first kind of round until the kitty got in. Um, but there was all, don't get me wrong, the kitty, there was always certain people that liked taking the kitty. You know what I mean? Aye. Because with the fancy aye, drinks. Get aye, the fancy drinks. Aye, aye, you know what I mean? All the boys are getting scudded with pints of tenants and all that, and they're getting, as you say, you know, fucking porn star <laughs> martinis and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> 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 aye, and then they're still, but then they're keeping a wee 20 quid note for their taxi up the road and a chip, you know what I mean? <laughs> aye, see what I mean? That's, that's, uh, yeah. Aye, so that was, you know, there's never anybody that would be flashy or anything like kind of stuff. You know, at that point, it was just everybody mucked in together, stuck on their door and then see where it went. Yeah. But as Wickham team captain, you'd have been putting in more, yeah? Well, aye, aye, you do, don't get me wrong, you do, sometimes you'll see, you know, right, I'll get the first round or something like that. Um, but the boys don't know that you've just you've just got 200 quid off a chairman for the kitty, you know what I mean? So. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> who's, the, who's, the, who's the worst person ever led on a night out that you've experienced? That oh. just carry-handed a sauce? Oh, no, there's just, aye, there's too many, like, too many time bombs that, that just fucking... For me, like, when I was younger, when I was at Dundee United, um, Davy Hanna was yeah, was about a special guy on a drink. <laughs> I, honestly, like just he would just don't get me right, he was still it's no as if he was complete Jekyll and Hyde, so if he was a kinda of quiet guy and then turned into this nutcase. Yeah. He was still still the same when about changing him. But we uh we are drinking him stuff like that, just went to a completely new level. Um I I've seen a few don't get me right, there's different levels. There's boys who you know, want to fight and batter people and all that kind of stuff. And there's other people who want to fall in love with the first lassie they've met and all that kind of stuff. And there's other ones that just want to stone and piss on somebody's leg. You know what I mean? He's just like, what are you doing? You can't do that. The stone in the middle of the bar. You want to... You don't want to in the bar, I don't even in the toilet. So I, there's a full full range, I. I'm not wanting to give up too many names, mind you. Aye, fair enough. Um, we've also got a bit of time on our hands um, with the lockdown. Um, what's been the best box set or series that you've been watching? Oh, good question, right? Okay. Um, well, the the latest one I've just started is um, the Last Dance. Aye, it's a Michael Jordan one. So I've only got I've only got uh, I might more into the second series yet. 
Right. Um, sorry, I'm just getting told to keep my noise now. Um, so <laughs> the I so so by the way he's been jumping it, but he's keep been telling me for weeks and weeks going to the last dance, going to the last dance, and I've no uh, I've not been watching it, and then and then I started watching it all night. Um, so it's, it seems pretty good to be fair. It's been a good intro with the first episode and stuff like that. So it'll be good to see the rest of that. I, I've not really been a massive box set person, um, but you know recently, also with the lockdown and that kind of stuff, there's only so many films you can watch. Hi, it's addictive. That last dance is really good. Aye, I know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll end up finishing it in the coming weeks. Aye. Uh, going back to the subject of nights out in pubs, what's your favourite beer? Uh, Depends on what it's if, if it's a pint then it's a Peroni. Peroni. Mm-hmm. Aye. Posh pint. Aye. Eh? A posh pint. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, somebody else is buying it, that's fine. <laughs> you going for the show stopper? Yes. Um well you're obviously a manager, so you should be used to this. Um Think about your time as a player and come up with a best eleven. A best eleven? Oh wow! Well. <laughs> this is what will take about two weeks. <laughs> I and then you'll get all the messages from the folk you've left it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Right. See, now it's, it's points like this where my head just goes completely blank. I can't even think of a goalkeeper under. Um. <laughs> What about right one of uh, Casillas and goals? And then, did you played with? Yeah, or I played with? Aye, well, you played. All right, all right. Thank you, Casillas. I'm thinking, Casillas at Wickham. I've done you right. Let's get on here. Okay, I came on for a month. Was he a Wickham? He was there as a favourite. Kid doesn't like that. Aye, sorry. Right, so right, once I played, once I played. Right, okay. Right, once I played with. Right, okay. So. Uh, so in goals, I'd say a uh, big Scottish era. My mate, Scottish era, he was doing it working with. So Scottish boy, um, absolute gemmy boy, nutcase as well. Just um, he's one of them. On a night, night, night out, takes it to like away by everybody else. Um, but great, great guy and a great. He was a great keeper as well. Um, right back. Let me see. Right, but I'll probably go for Wee Duff, just because he's one of my mates and all. He's Stuart Duff, so he he played he played in practically every position. I think he'd done the United. Started right back, left on side, um, stuff like that. So I go for him, and then centre halves played played with like when I was doing it with him. Obviously, played like, defence wise. We Mike Williamson was there. We went on to Watford and. Newcastle and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and Russell, Russell Martin was there as well, but probably go a uh, big John, Leon Johnson. So he um we played a lot um as a partnership. So I was just talking just talking to him the other day. That's why he's fresh in my head as well. So um go for him. Um You just looking at your phone the last ten folk you've texted, the last eleven folk you've texted? No. <laughs> 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 it's a good idea by the way. I should just start searching. If you say that, I'll get in this team. Left back, let me see. I would go Stephen Kingsley. 
who obviously mm. was at Falkirk and stuff yeah. like that uh, the first time I was there. Just kind of fresh, popped in my head there. So he he was obviously a, a great talent, um, and he's doing doing massively well down in England and stuff like that. Um, midfield, going at midfield, you'd probably go Charlie Miller wouldn't he been there? Mm. Definitely, um, a massive talent. Um, when I seen him at Dundee United, he he um, he could just turn the game on its head, not a problem. Like, at any point in the game, um, probably you know the old saying, you know, he never probably fulfilled you know the talent they had and stuff like that. But um, you know he was still still like a special player. Um, who else? Let me see. Other midfielders. Trying Mark here. I'm just I'm just picking all the mates here. Just trying to <laughs> Mark Kerr, I so we we Kerzo obviously playing with him uh, at Falkirk and United. Um we man just never stops. Obviously still going, you know, at United, still playing and stuff like that as well as doing his uh, his managerial stuff as well. So um proper work course. Um and I have, I have our current, uh, one of our current midfielders in there as well, Gaz Muller, who's who's converted for when I played him at St Johnson, he was a right back, and he done done fairly well, you know, got up and down the pitch and all that kind of stuff. But transformation since we came in, um, where he's just playing the kind of sitting midfield role, uh, he's been brilliant, he's been great. Um, who else? Not any strikers yet. So we'll get three midfielders, a few strikers in there. Um, got a, obviously my first pick's got to be my big buddy Lee, isn't it? Aye, it's got to be. Aye, you're not here at the end of it if you don't pick him. <laughs> I was, I was hoping um, for a bit something controversial. <laughs> controversial, aye. aye. Um, it, Lee was a good, a terrific striker for us. Aye. aye. No, he's done well. He's, he's, he's done well at big kind of clubbies. Went, you know what I mean? Scored goals and stuff like that. Um, another one would be oh yeah, Aaron Wolverham. So mm-hmm. striker, yeah, he was at MK Dons and stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure where he is. He's still playing, I'm sure. Um, but I'm not sure where he is at the moment. I'm trying to think. Uh, fuck, I don't know. He's still, still. Uh, he's about. I think he's about 40 now, 39, about same age as me or something like that. So he's still, still going well. Um. I'm trying to think who else. It's one of the ones, as soon as I come off of this, I'm going to think, fucking hell, what's this? Oh, yeah. What's this? He's, oh, he was some player. He was fucking, he's a great player. <laughs> um, and who else? Who else? There's no getting any options in there, no? There's no getting any, any fucking guys. Any help with us, no? Billy Dodds. <laughs> and Dodds, yeah, obviously Dodds like a massive player, you know what I mean? Um, a player of that calibre. And it was funny, like you know, you talk about you learn off people throughout your career, and not just not just for football wise, but you know, obviously you learn life lessons and stuff like that. And and as much as we uh, we used to hammer them all the time, and Kelso used to hammer them at the motor, right? Because they were too old, and we were still young in that. Uh, the two of them, you know, him and uh, Dodgy and Maka, did probably teach us quite a lot. You know what I mean? And they, they journeys up and down the road. Um, we used to wind them up. They were old uh, Jack and Victor and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so fucking still game. You know what I mean? And we used to talk about. Mark used to talk about 
the birds that just used to sit, and they would just sit and hover, and then swoop down to common buzzard and all this shit, right? And be <laughs> Whereas years and years later, I'm travelling up to St Johnson and I found myself talking to boys about the common buzzard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I so it's funny how things evolve, right? So it brings a whole different meaning to where's the birds. Aye, exactly. <laughs> Aye, totally. Uh, Aye, so that's that then. Mm-hmm. So Dodgy's the last man in? Aye. Dodgy and Mackie and put the two of them in there. Try and get 12 in the team, right? Like. <laughs> Alright, okay. Or they can play a half each. <laughs> so who's your manager? And I'm guessing it's not Andy Scott. I certainly won't be Andy Scott, no. <laughs> um, I would probably put... See, I'm kind of between two and between. I'm between. No, no, I wouldn't pick myself. No, I'm between uh, Peter Houston and Peter Taylor. To be fair, because obviously I was captain, but both of them, I learnt a lot. Um, you know, that's, that I'm probably utilising now in my managerial career. I learnt a lot of lessons for the two of them uh, through that. So, you know. If, I would put him as co-managers, there you go. Well, right. It's in trend just now, supposedly. Brilliant. We never even asked all the slow fast questions, because I would be here till next week. Aye. Aye. Stuff aye. we wanted to talk about as well. We've all covered, so we need to get you back on in our time if you're up for it. Aye, aye. That's me as usual, talking crap for too long. Aye, we'll, our, our podcasts are getting longer and longer every week. We thought we'd have nothing to talk about once lockdown starts, and we've never had... Well, we've never had more to talk about with the guests and everything like that, so it's been good. Aye. Aye, Bring absolutely. Leon next time. I know, I, I am so. I will get that, get that sorted. Aye. See a different, see a different dimension here. Aye, that'd be good actually. That'd be really good. Aye, no, no problem at all. Maybe yeah, even once, once we get back in there, aye, that might be something to do. Definitely. Fantastic. Look forward to that. But aye. thanks very much for your time, David. Aye. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, I think you're the new F bomb for um, this podcast. I <laughs> definitely, I. Even I David Robertson didn't swear as much. <laughs> I thought you had a hold you on that. I definitely, I. I was, I was on my best behaviour, but I. We're looking forward to uh, your autobiography when the time you played the uh, Icar Casillas. <laughs> <laughs> That was probably probably one in the next suit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Cheers again, David. Thanks Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Stay safe. Bye.